0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Full Marks. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Edric. And today we're going to be talking about the Marx Brothers film, The Big Store. The Big Store. That's right. Dave said it in a slightly different cadence than me, but both are valid. Uh, If you're listening to the show for the first time, uh, David is a big Marx Brothers fan. Yes. uh, And uh, I would say expert. He wouldn't. But that's what experts say. They never call themselves experts.
1: I'm more of a devoted fan.
0: That's right. That's what experts say. Uh, And I am a casual enjoyer of uh, the Marx Brothers culturally, but I have not... Uh, seen all of their films until we decided to do this podcast. This been, is
1: one that I have not seen. You've just enjoyed their glasses through the years.
0: That's right. Yeah. I really enjoy a pair of Harpo glasses, <laughs> which are actually contact lenses. Um, and so there you go. If you're joining us for the very first time, once again, that's a very odd film to start with, this one. But yeah, okay, I'm it's I'm going to start with my you. favorite,
1: the big store. There,
0: maybe for some people... You, you know unicycle it, enthusiasts
1: it's when you are a uh, kid bed joke yeah. enjoyers <sighs> so much about what you enjoy in life is you know is imprinted on you as a kid and what if this is the first yes. film you saw
0: i could actually see children quite liking this film sure and uh and uh, we usually start off uh before dave does some context then we get into the film in depth but before we do that and we're just learning this as we go along how we do this (laughs) show by the time we'll understand it we'll be out of movies we will be like (laughs) oh what are we gonna do um just generally how do you feel about uh about this film the the big store what do you what do you think
1: I think the Marx brothers were happy to get it over with. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Like an obligation type situation? Mm-hmm, for sure.
1: Okay. They signed for three movies. Yeah. This was the third movie. I think that was their attitude to it. Um I know on set they were indifferent to the film. Groucho normally would spend his time tinkering over the script and trying to make his lines better and and then getting bored of lines cuz they weren't getting laughs from the crew anymore and and then demanding new lines to to you know make cuz you know they were could never quite escape their, their roots as live performers. So, right. you know, if they weren't getting laughter from the crew, they felt like they weren't funny. So, you know, they couldn't figure, they couldn't trust themselves, you know, just performing to, to a vacuum. So, but by this point, you know, they Harpo... You know, he didn't really want to be there for musical rehearsal as much. He wanted to go golfing, and Chris Chico was never there anyway, so that was not an issue. But mm-hmm. Groucho was sort of, his, you know, his, was his mind run, was on other things. And, okay,
0: but how did you feel about the film? Like just generally watching? Oh, me? Like watching, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about how the Marx Brothers felt no, about it. You, um,
1: you know, I think it's okay. I just, but I feel like I feel like it li- lives up to its original title, which is Bargain Basement.
0: Ah, oh, okay. I like that title more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and also, I always confuse. I always think the big score whenever I uh, whenever I hear this. and I'm yeah. wondering, oh, is that a pun? like? Was it a play on words of the big score? But of course, probably not.
1: There's a, there's some really good scenes in it.
0: There's some very good scenes, absolutely. There's some good scenes and there's some clunkers. There's some that clunkers that are just like wow. <laughs> yes. That are just wow. Well, it's that? just well, there's, and there's there's one particular that's yeah. just it's got one great line off the get go. Yeah. That it feels like Groucho almost lifted for you bet your life later on, and then it just goes really not good and then we get back to okay and yeah. uh, and, yeah. we're, and we're fine
1: and it's really plot heavy it really pushes the plot more than more than go west which was plot heavy more than more than uh at the circus which mm-hmm. you know had a plot it wanted to tell us this film is basically a uh what would you call it it's you know, it's a real kind of situation comedy movie that that you know you it's hilarious cuz these guys are in this situation yeah you know and they're not hilarious but the situation is hilarious mm you know, that's a situation comedy. The situation is what's funny about it. It's a confusing, yeah, it's a confusing
0: plot as well. It's not it's not very linear. It's it's Oh, it
1: doesn't make any sense.
0: It doesn't make a lick of
1: sense. No, no, no. no. It's it's the most murderous plot of any Marx Brothers film. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of talk of murder <laughs> uh and it really doesn't yeah. We'll get through how much not sense it makes, yeah. which you don't really need for a Marx Brothers movie to make a lot of logical consistencies but there's yeah. got to be something where you're like what mm-hmm. what's going on mm-hmm. here's, a, here's a thing uh, and it may be a little weird detail but just the opening credits I always like seeing the opening credits sure. what they are going to do animation or the rolling mm-hmm. barrels or something yeah. and in this case they had still cartoon images yeah. of the Marx Brothers yeah. and it started off with uh, Groucho and Chico looking like they're up to some mischief mm. and they're just gazing uh, like through curtains or over things and yeah. then as we go up we're going up like in an elevator and that's right it's like Harpo, and Harpo's chasing a girl. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's that kind of Harpo. Yeah, because we haven't seen Harpo chase a girl in a long, long he's, time. Well, that's
1: oldie days. That's oldie days. And I feel like for himself, he probably felt like I'm I'm too old to be chasing after possibly blonde, and <laughs> blonde. Woman. But like,
0: that's what I felt like when I just watched these cartoon caricatures. Mm-hmm. I was going, oh, those guys. Yeah, I wonder if they'll be back in this movie. And they were not. No, those were not the characters. <laughs> they were the characters definitely uh delightful marx brothers cartoons but it was yeah. like oh no those are from many many movies ago this is not uh does not connect with I, this right. film at
1: all this isn't your dad's marx brothers no this is the new marx brothers <laughs> brother
0: so where were the you know you're giving me a little bit of context mm. about how they felt uh about where they were but uh let's uh let's go back in time now well, to yesteryear yeah. let's go back uh, where to... did we leave off the marx brothers last time dave so uh by the way, I have a cold, so I apologize sure, for that's coughing you're hearing. That's fine. Um which there there you go. I'm not we're not going to edit it out, Dave could, but he's not going to.
1: <laughs> the the production for for the big store started actually started before Go West was fu- finished. Mm. They already had started to work on it. And as uh as was the way uh they were you know, they brought in people and stuff. But well, let's just I just want to start a little ahead of it though because I have I think this is more interesting in a way. You're the time traveler. Go wherever you
0: want. Sure. Do you think it's most appropriate?
1: So in April 1941, during the production of The Big Store, Groucho released a prepared statement, which read as follows. When I say we're sick of the movies, what I mean is that the people are about to get sick of us. By getting out now, we're just anticipating public demand and by a very short margin. Our stuff is stale. So are we. The fake mustache, the dumb harp player, and the little Italian who chased the ladies were funny at first. But it became harder with each picture to top the one before. To get out of the groove, we have to get out of the movies. Oh, wait.
0: It doesn't seem like Groucho actually watched their movies because Chico didn't really change the girls. No,
1: no. Yeah. He probably even, he was thinking of the stage shows and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, So that was the Merckx Brothers' attitude as they went into their final picture with MGM. So I think that's something important to to know. Like, this was their final picture. Not only was their final picture, it was their last picture they were going to do as the Merckx Brothers. Right. They were going to retire the characters after this.
0: And this isn't just self-effacing humor?
1: It's not self-effacing humor. No, he was announcing the end of the Marx Brothers before okay. the big story was completed. All right. So basically just saying to people, this is the last hurrah, our last film we're ever going to do as the right. Brothers. Brothers. Uh, Grocho didn't plan to retire as a performer like he's intended to keep on.
0: But the last one in a cartoonish uh, mustache as he says that was uh That's right. painted on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're they're these big stereotypes, these mm-hmm. broad characters and That's right. other things. Sure, okay, that makes sense.
1: And yeah, it just felt like these films, you know, they couldn't they couldn't live up to their past versions of, you know, the past movies. And you know, they recognized. Like Groucho didn't even go see Go West when it was in the theaters. He never saw the finished film, Go West. Hmm. He didn't care. He really didn't care about it. That's all right. And uh, he just knew. He, to him, it was a turkey. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. And maybe he went and saw it. I think he went and saw it like when it came around. Like it went like it was kind of a, a lower tier movies. Like in his neighborhood, he went to see it. Okay. But he was hoping that he would win free dishes by going more than <laughs> that. The movie would be any good. Um,
0: Did he ever see it later, like at a revival when the Marx Brothers had I kind of think, that revival in the yeah, 60s? I don't think so. Huh,
1: don't, all right. I don't know. I don't. I don't know his. Um, he didn't really talk very much about about the the later films. Okay. He didn't really have much interest in them. You know, he really liked a Night of the Opera a lot. But I think like most people, most performers don't really have an accurate sense of themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. their their idea of themselves is based on other people's idea of them. And so you, you kind of are reflected back. You know, so to him, Night of the Opera which had like the most critical acclaim. At that time, like through the 40s, 50s and stuff like that. Like it wasn't until later, like it wasn't until the 60s and that Duck Soup's kind of absurdist view of war and stuff like that became more timely and had an audience that was ready to hear that. And so that film started to gain critical, started to get critical accolades. And his opinion about the movie changed then. For a long time, he didn't like it. But once people started, other people started to like it, then he started to like it. You know, and that's just, I think that's just how people are as performers. Right, and also of,
0: as you get a little older, there's certain things that annoy you from the past that mm-hmm. you kind of embrace and, sure. you know, you feel, feel all right about. Yeah. And you have
1: different attitudes. Yeah. yeah. So, the Marks Brothers attitude was, was pretty sour going into the film. And they were more than aware that MGM didn't really care very much about them. Hmm. And there were changes as well. So, the producer of, of Go West, Jack Cummings, mayor's son-in-law, was gone writer Irving Brecker, who had written At the Circus and Go West, he was a hit gone as well.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, he had reached a point in his career where he didn't have to say yes to every project that was presented to him. And he definitely didn't no he no longer wanted to work with the Marx Brothers on, on in a in a Marx Brother movie. And that's not to say he didn't didn't want to work with Groucho. In fact he and Groucho, uh, you know, worked together later to develop a radio show, uh which became The Life of Riley with William Bendix, because the radio the radio the sponsor didn't want Groucho Marx to be in in the role of the the intended role in the, in the show. But so it wasn't that he was, they didn't like the Marx Brothers, but I still think he enjoyed working on these movies. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, Eddie Bazell, who had directed both at the circus and go West, he hit, he left as well. Um, and so I don't think his going was so, was really that bad. I mean, he never saw eye to eye with the Marx Brothers. They had totally different ideas of what comedy was, and in some ways, he was more destructive than constructive, especially in the last film on, on uh, Go West, where he had decided on his uh, strategy of not laughing at what things yeah. they did.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, n- that's not the best thing to do with a comedian.
1: No, and I think, yeah, and I think that can definitely put a paw on a set if yeah. someone's trying to manipulate you. That obviously, too. Uh, so in their place was uh, producer Louis K. Sidney. Um, who uh, was actually the brother of this director named George Sidney, who directed Our Gang Shorts, and then he went on to direct Anchors Away and The Harvey Girls and stuff like that for oh, MGM. Okay. Uh, now, he'd worked his way up from an usher to becoming the head of Lowe's Theaters. Lowe's was the theater chain that was owned by MGM. In those days, before the 50s, uh, theaters had to divest themselves of their theater holdings because it was considered to be a monopoly. So but that before that, they had their own theaters where they could show their own movies. Oh, right. and so that gave them like a leg up in terms of making a lot of money and also gave them a leg up on other smaller, the- uh, smaller studios who couldn't afford to have their own uh, theaters to show their movies in. And so they had to rely on, you know, the largesse of MGM and, and other studios that had that had that lucky break. Uh, you know, and I guess they would do that in order so it wasn't a monopoly. We're not a monopoly. We let these guys show their movies here, you know, but obviously there's yeah. got... Poink. Yeah, wink, wink, wink wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink, of course. And then eventually he became the vice president of uh, MGM. But in the meantime, he produced two, count them, two movies, uh, one being The Big Store, and the other one a year earlier was a movie called Hullabaloo.
0: Oh, okay. Which what is, is that?
1: Okay. I read about it last night, and it actually sounded like a really good movie. <laughs> It sounded really interesting. It had Frank Morgan in it, mm-hmm. uh, who is the the wizard in the Wizard of yeah. Oz. So it's kind of a it's actually sort of a spoof of the um, the H. Well, or the HG War of the Worlds uh, radio show, the Orson Welles uh, the Mercury Theater production of of War of the Worlds. Okay. So in this, it's a musical. So it's a former vaudevillian Frank Merriweather, played by Frank Morgan, mm-hmm. manages to get a job in a radio show doing all twenty voices in a program about a Martian invasion. But his act is so convincing, it starts a panic and gets him fired. Meanwhile, Frank's three ex-wives show up with their grown children (laughs) and try to set him up for for marriage. Frank bonds with daughter Laura and somehow gets his radio show back. Still, he must figure out how to keep an important sponsor on board. So it's kind of a bunch of stuff, but it sounds kind of interesting. Wow, that
0: is a confusing plot. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So it may not have worked plot wise, but it isn't kind of interesting jumping off point having a movie that's a, a kind of a spoof of mm-hmm. uh, of the War of the work, Worlds. Yeah. Orson Wells' famous production of uh
0: Yeah. So how did that movie do? Did it was a success or a failure?
1: I don't know these things. Uh well can I just go by the IMDB rating, which sure, is sure. which is six out of ten. Okay. So it's middling, but a little bit better than middling. Okay. But I don't know, um don't know if it turned a profit or not. No, I don't. I could maybe <laughs>
0: I could look it up myself too. Sorry about that.
1: Yes, you could.
0: I've thrown you off your game <laughs> so, with my pestering questions. This is for our other podcast Holy Hullabaloo. Doesn't say sorry, it doesn't say.
1: All right. But it does tell us that in the movie he does a parody of the uh, MGM hit film Boomtown, supposedly imitating the voices of the stars of that film, but in fact the stars themselves dubbed their voices. So it has Clark Gable <laughs> Claudette Colbert Spencer Tracy And Hedy Lamarr Doing their voices Oh that's good And him pretending To be doing their voices Nice
0: like So that's that. kind of interesting Yeah let's talk about That movie instead Yeah let's talk about That movie no. Okay back to this Back. To uh, so,
1: so he did that film And then he did The big store So apparently So I kind of was When I was thinking About this I was thinking well, So apparently Producing a Marx Brothers movie Was a rite of passage For up and coming Producers at MGM So it's okay. kind of like Hey if you want to think you're, If you think you're As good as Thalberg You gotta make a Marx mm. Brothers movie Like Thalberg did which no one apparently could ever do. Apparently, Sidney uh, gave a pep talk during the pre-production of the film, saying that the last two films had lost money, but that he had never had a movie lose money. Big store made a profit of three hundred and thirty three hundred. Sorry, made a profit of33,000 dollars. OK. But it earned less money than the preceding pictures. Whether those films had larger budgets, I don't know. I actually found I've always been curious, and I found a site that had a, what they earned their, okay. like their box office. It's adjusted for, for inflation. Okay. But so their biggest money earner was A Day at the Races, which I, in whatever time, so I assume it's around, around our time, It's uh, it earned $221 million in our... Oh. In our
0: yeah, in our... Uh, if you adjust yeah, for yeah. now, yeah.
1: Horse Feathers was their second biggest earner. Uh, it earned $174 million. Okay. Third, Animal Crackers, mm-hmm. $151 million. Fourth, A Night of the Opera. One hundred and twenty-four million dollars. Fifth is uh, the coconuts at one hundred and forty-seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. Six is Monkey Business, one hundred and eighteen million dollars. Number seven is Duck Soup, eighty-three million dollars. Oh, sorry, that's wrong. Duck Soup was a little lower because actually, At the Circus made more than Duck Soup. It's one hundred and nine million dollars. Oh, okay. Then it's Duck Soup at eighty-three. Go West made eighty-two. Room service made eighty-eight million, so it made more than Go West. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Oh, I didn't Casablanca. Also made eighty three million, the big store eighty one million dollars. So it made less than the other one. So I don't know if it was budget, yeah, or that, that would make sense, All right. or what. That I don't know if those. I don't know if he was just hyping himself and saying the other movies made made lost money. No one knows. You know, it's a studio. They're not going to tell you exactly. That's right. What it, they can you know. bury money as well. Yeah. It has a. It was a kind of weird site. Anyway, well, what we usually do when we get
0: to the end of these podcasts, whether yeah. it's a completely Beatles or a totally Tintin, is we we have a corrections episode, <laughs> and so you're really loading that one up. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll have a reason for people to
1: turn into that as well. Sure. Thank you. But
0: don't let it worry you. That's fine. No, that was interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, yeah. So I. It's hard to know. Like I say, unless it's you know, you can think of the end of Go West was a, probably a pretty uh, big. Well, I think they said they wanted to cut two hundred thousand out of it. So that's a big chunk of change right. out of a movie. So you know that's a big that's a big budget yeah, finale. It, the for ending a, did
0: look expensive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did it need to be that expensive? That's I don't know if question. it was all
0: that funny, but it was expensive. <laughs> what it lacked in high, it made up for in oh <laughs> that's, that's
1: that, right. looks,
0: that looks pricey. That's right. Okay.
1: So Sidney did approach Irving Brecker about writing the big store, but like I say, uh, Brecker had had enough. Yeah. Uh, like I said, he enjoyed a friendship with Groucho, but George S. Kaufman also enjoyed a friendship with Groucho, and he had no interest at all in writing. A yeah, bunch it sounds like films, everyone so. had a foot out the door. Yeah, I think it's just you know, and maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if they were this if they were this uninterested. I think before it's just they were a incredibly demanding you know, in terms of material, what they thought was good and bad, because they, you know, they had definite standards that they wanted to sure. reach. And also, they were, these, they were the Marx Brothers. Like, who they were on screen was who they were in real life. Mm. You know, their personalities came out of them on stage and on screen. And so they were anarchic individuals who didn't really like rules or following rules yeah, or listening sense. to other people. And so working with people like that, well, it sounds amusing to us, That they would lock people in cages and leave them there for an hour or they would roast you know strip naked and sit on the floor and roast hot dogs in in a fireplace in an an office while waiting for their producer that sounds great unless you're the producer who walks into his office and there's a bunch of guys who pile furniture in front of the door or sitting naked and you know Mm -hmm. you know so those sort of stories you can see why it would wear people down you know so instead sydney brought in three writers a team of songwriters and ex-newspaper reporters and they'd been packaged together by an agent named Nat Goldstone. And so it was Sid Collar, Ray Golden, and Hal Finberg were the writers of this film. Mm-hmm. You can look them up. You'll never hear about them again, practically. So,
0: But they were real people. They were real people. It wasn't a bunch of pseudonyms.
1: So interestingly, from last week's show, this a little callback, Collar and his partner Golden were closely associated with the Ritz Brothers. Ah, all right. Because the Ritz Brothers were kind of a musical comedy act. They, they would sing and dance and then sort of do comedy bits and they do a lot of you know, kind of big, broad facial expressions and things like that was kind of their thing. And so, you know, they, they needed sort of funny material. And why there wasn't funny material in, in the big store in terms of songs, I don't really understand, but mm-hmm. but uh, it would have been yeah. nice. It would have been a good idea. Yep. Bring some of that hilarious songwriting over here. Uh, the original story idea for the film was taken from uh, Nat Perrin's original script for episode 15 of the radio show Flywheel, Shyster, and Flywheel, which took place in a store. And interestingly, when I was up in uh, Penticton, this this something nothing to most people who live outside okay. of B- in B- British Columbia. British Columbia, but yeah, when I was up in Penticton, I went to a bookstore up there and I found uh, this book called Flywheel Shyster and Flywheel. The Marx Brothers lost radio show, and it has all the radio scripts. Oh, that's in it. great! So I I read the episode fifteen radio script just to see what it was like and if it related at all to the big store. And no, very good. I had lots of good jokes in it. Would have been really good in the big store. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. Then borrow any of them. So basically, Nat parent gets the idea yeah. of, of putting the Mercs Brothers in a store. Totally different plot. Completely different jokes. Missed opportunity.
0: That's one of the characters has the same name, though. So, you know, <laughs> we got that going for it. That's
1: why. Ravelli actually, and so does G- Chico's character. Ah. So Ravelli's name, which is also from Animal Crackers, um, is also from the Flywheel Shaster and Flywheel okay. uh, show as well.
0: And Harpo is Wacky? Is that his name in this? Ugh I know what a
1: horrible name, we just about like
0: it. <laughs> let's just get that out of the way.
1: <laughs> I'm about wacky it. Well, it's kind of the same oh I know. and can we thank can we thank a listener? Sure we can. This is related to Go West actually, it's a nice little bit of uh, of trivia, which is that uh, Groucho's name s Quentin Quail is a reference to the term San Quentin Quail, which was slang for a girl uh, for an underage girl like a, that's oh, okay uh, as in don't even think about getting into her pants because she's a San Quentin quail.
0: Oh. Okay, that's a thing.
1: And he says, seems pretty dicey at best for a Grocho name. And that's taking into consideration Ronald Cornblow, <laughs> which will soon make an appearance in Night of Casamalanca, which is okay. true, that's in our next film. But see, my problem with Quail, and I thank you for that, because to me, what, what, when they were going with Quail there, I thought of Quail, like someone who's quailing, like is fearful, is sniveling, which pretty much, you know, suggests his character mm-hmm. in, in Go West. And here's another example of a name where it describes the character. He's wacky. We'll call him wacky, and everyone will know that he's wacky. Then, because there's not actually much going wacky on in the movie. So, but if yeah. we call him wacky, then you can have a wacky movie because it's wacky. Then, yeah. It's just, I really don't like that. Yeah, didn't work. for Big me. thumbs down on that name. I'm not that big on flywheel either. I prefer. I yeah. thought it was very, very clever of them to change flywheel to firefly mm. for uh, Duck Soup. Because flywheel was the name that was kind of in the the beginning scripts of of the movie, and then they changed it to Rufus D. Firefly, a much better name.
0: Oh, it's a great name.
1: Um, so the three white writers turned in uh turned this idea. It's not a plot because they didn't take the plot. So someone said to them, you know, if someone wrote a script for the radio show. They had them in a store. You should write put them in a the store. Went, okay, can we see the script? No, no, no. Just put them in a the store. All right, we'll give the writer the original script credit for the idea of putting them in a store but we just want you to put them in a store he didn't really he didn't need credit i mean eventually someone if you're in enough marks Brothers films you could end up in a store like sure. it's just but anyway nat perrin got the credit for that but it he makes really sense.
0: had you know fancy store there's a bunch of snobs there's a lot of stuff you can do some things yeah it's gonna be fine
1: makes sense so the three writers turned this into a workable storyline which the producers had them change then the Marx brothers had them revise that as well sure they were able to work out a one hundred and fifty page treatment. Oh my for gosh the film. At which point the producers said That uh, is a very large treatment. That is a very long treatment. I think that's That's too long for a script. Yeah. That's,
0: that's double the length of a script. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, th-
1: I just think there was a lot of input they were getting during this. All right. So yeah, they got the they were able to get the script or this treatment done. At which point the producers came descended upon them again mm-hmm. and uh with more suggestions. Oh, that's good. And the Marxists had to make more revisions. Sure. Sid Culler reportedly said, the shortest thing was writing the screenplay.
0: No, I no, I get that. That makes sense. Okay.
1: So it was during the 10 months spent working on the script that the film went through several name changes. So first, as I said, it was originally going to be called Bargain Basement, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty good title. Sure. Which was then changed to Step This Way. Mm-hmm. Then Sounds bri- like a
0: British sitcom.
1: Yeah. Then briefly, you yeah, having a laugh. Mm-hmm. Then briefly, mm-hmm. Philadelphia Store okay which is weird yeah
0: well it's a, it's a parody name right
1: Ah, uh, maybe so the philadelphia story yeah. yeah philadelphia store yeah it should say the philadelphia store anyway before finally becoming the big store mm. because that's the best thing because now you know it's a comedy or at least an exciting film because it's not just a store it's a big store
0: well here's the thing i'm just gonna just briefly do a little bit of history you and i once pitched a, a tv show uh, to Canadian television And we put the word Big in the title Because uh, Big makes your uh, Show look better So I'm not going to Throw
1: any uh, Stones <laughs> Against them Calling it the big store
0: So uh, It's
1: fine Is that why we use big? Yep I, have to, I select it as a Double entendre
0: um, The show we were Talking about was called Big Cable it was, uh, Anyway Yeah Yeah
1: Almost got it on. We we're that close. We
0: we're so close. Still might. That's but that's a story for Sneaky Dragon or uh, <laughs> our, our, our other podcast. We'll get into it on that on that show. Uh,
1: we have got it. The director uh, was uh, Chuck Reisner, and he was brought in to replace Eddie Bazell. And he actually had extensive comedy experience. Uh, he worked through the silent film era, doing a lot of uh, com- like a lot of comedy and stuff like that. He co-directed with Charlie Chaplin. Okay. He co-directed A Dog's Life, The sure. Kid.
0: Charlie Chaplin, he's good in A Store, doing a bunch of silent stuff in a store.
1: <laughs> the Pilgrim and the Gold Rush, so pretty good films. And he sure. also worked with Buster Keaton on uh, Steamboat Bill Jr.
0: There's uh, the end probably would have worked better as just a straight out silent silent movie. Yeah. Film, yeah. you know, it would have it would have been better not to jump too far ahead, but it's very much silent movie business for sure. for sure. At the end, not that the train stuff in the in in the last film Go West wasn't. Yeah, that also felt to me like. Well, sure. now we're ending with a silent movie series of gags. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Working with Chaplin and Keaton, so it was kind of two visionary master comedians. Reisner sure. uh, Reisner acted as a facilitator, you know, so he wasn't really the calling the shots. He was there to facilitate yeah. facilitate their vision, make it happen. Yeah, and so I think. You know, and so helping to bring their unique style to the film. And so I think that if the Marx brothers had been more interested in, and had the energy and the heart to push for a better movie, he would have been behind them and would have, could have helped them do that. As it is, um, I think he was like, kind of left to his own devices. And to me, I think that's why he fell back on his extensive training in silent films at, and bringing it in slapstick comedy and kind of bringing that into the film's finale. Okay. F- now, you know, and it's a finale that barely involves the Marx brothers.
0: Yeah, you know, you're not wrong. Here's here's the thing, and I hope this doesn't derail you too much on this, but you yeah. know, that's my job. Um, <laughs> when you're saying that their hearts weren't into it, were they going through? And maybe you don't know this, or maybe you do. Uh, were they going through the thing that so many comedians go through? In their not later years, but at a certain point in their career after they've had success, yeah. where they don't feel they're getting respect, and so they want to like take it up a notch, uh, uh, and uh, they'll do like a more serious thing, or a, you know, I could see like a Night at the Opera mm-hmm. being well now it's bigger and it's a yeah. better movie. Here we go, but now we're still doing the same thing. I'm still putting on the clown makeup. I'm putting on a grease mustache. Uh, Harpo's putting on a wig. Yeah, we're doing we're we're doing the silly accents still. Mm-hmm. Maybe as grown men and now that in our 40s and 50s we don't want to be doing this anymore Was that kind of where the 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 fun was leaking out of it for them
1: yeah well yeah cuz that seems to be most comedians i don't think it was they'll go
0: they'll go through their mm-hmm. you know energetic wacky stage yeah, yeah. they'll be beloved they'll they'll take it up a notch they'll have great success and then they'll they'll want to do something different that's just the yeah. nature of yeah. comedians very few want to keep doing the same thing over and over again yeah. for an extended period cuz it gets
1: boring Mm, yeah. I mean what makes them what makes them exciting to us or is their talent and eventually your talent becomes submerged into a formula that doesn't really allow you to be talented anymore it just gives you a rote thing that you do Well I I'm
0: going to give you a counter thing to that where I think I think what also happens is when you're a comedian you are reacting to what the status quo is then if you're very successful, you become the status quo. And how do you go counter to your own status quo? You know, your Groucho Marx. What do you do do being that same Groucho Marx for so long? Yeah. You know, then you're just kind of, you are repeating yourself. Can you tweak your own, you know, uh, your own, your image and what you've set up?
1: Well, I think, I mean, it's partly that, but I think it's more that their personalities were submerged into these movies where they weren't they weren't allowed to be themselves right and they were discouraged from being themselves and so you know i like i said earlier that their personalities were them like we we see them on screen Mm -hmm. you know they're not putting on an act they're not pretending you know groucho off screen was exactly the same on screen he was the same person basically he was a you know a joke maniac who just could not stop joking and maybe that was it probably was unsettling for people who maybe wanted to be serious, but he was, that was his personality, you know, and Harpo was a sweetheart. Harpo was a very sweet man who was universally loved, you know, and Chico was <laughs> his character. He was a bit of a con, a bit of a con man, a bit of a, you know, conniver, a bit of a, you know, a guy looking for the angles and stuff like that. And those, right. those, par- those parts of them came out, you know, in their characters, because When they, when they became themselves on stage in in vaudeville, when they finally broke out of the bonds of being the, the night, the singing nightingales, you know, being these boy singers and just let loose on stage, it was just mayhem and craziness, you know, and it was just them being themselves. They didn't, you know, they didn't. You know, they didn't plan it. They didn't, you know, sit down and figure out how no, they're going to you be. You and you, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. They just became themselves, you know, and just yeah. l- let them, their own personalities come it's out. Like,
0: it's like what they say about almost all the talk show hosts is, you know, like someone like a David Letterman. Is he like that? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but yes. Yeah. It's just an extended version of yourself and you exaggerate certain parts, but it still is at the heart of it, you. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. that does make sense because, oh, of course, Chico doesn't talk like Chico does. But yeah. You, the things that come across as truest are the things that you uh, you have inside you already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at someone like W. C. Fields who made great film after great film. And I think even at the end of his career, at the end of his film career, he was still making great movies. And he was just lucky that he was in a small enough at a small enough studio that he could work fairly undisturbed. Yes. He didn't have a lot of producers looking over his shoulder telling him, you know, you need a music number here, you need. You know, this isn't funny, and you—you you know, no one knows what an accent grave is. You can't put that into a movie. Mm. You know, so. But he
0: was also one person, and that's an easier. No, thing.
1: that's actually harder, I think, because really, if, yeah, because if you're a group, if you're a gang, yeah, you're stronger than one person. A gang can kind of support each other. But one person has to fight for himself the whole time. But as
0: things go along and time moves
1: along, you do move in different directions.
0: You know, you're all... You're, if you're an I mean okay, artist... Sure, yeah. sure.
1: That's true. That's true. But in terms of like, you know, I always think that, you know, in a way, the Beatles were lucky because they had each other to, to support them, to support each other. You know, they had each other. They support each other. They wrote songs together. They played together. You know, but someone like Brian Wilson, you know, who was basically the, the motor of the Beach Boys, you know, he was... You know, had so much pressure on him and he had no support system because it was just him. Mm. You know, yes, he did lyrics with other people and stuff like that, but he, you know, they weren't, the, they were helping, they were facilitating his vision, you know, and he was the one who was the, you know, the thing that was pushing this this band along. Right. And as pressure started to mount, he had no one to turn to to support him. Whereas the Beatles had each other, you know. As a group, yes. In the end, of course, they fell apart. And and,
0: and in the end, it was less than ten years. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a very short period yeah, of time. Yeah. And then you're looking at something like the Marx sure. Brothers here, and how many years oh, we're spanning yeah, here? Yeah,
1: so yeah, thirty years mm-hmm. at least, you know, of of vaudeville, and then and then and then movies.
0: And then you also add to it that
1: they're family, and family also brings with it its own baggage. They got they got along amazingly well. Oh, that's it's good. Pretty, pretty it's pretty interesting there wasn't like any kind of like falling out fights or or anything major like that with them they just seemed to you know like mini really knit, their mother their yeah. mother yeah really knit a close family and 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 their dad as well like they really made a close family and and they as brothers they were they were not like prone to bicker with each other or have falling outs and and, and feuds and things so uh yeah I, I you know it's hard to you can't because you can't read people's minds and we can only go by by what we know from other people and things, uh, you know, in terms of their their attitude to what they're doing. But, uh, you know, I just think, I really feel like, you know, it's interesting. When you went, when you went to MGM mm-hmm. as a comedian, the, what Irving Thalberg would make you do, he'd go send you to a screening room and he'd show you Buster Keaton's The Cameraman, which was Buster Keaton's first film at MGM. And it was considered for years at MGM as the jewel of comedy. Right. And we want you to watch this movie to understand how to make a great comedy film. Mm. Well, part of the reason that movie was great was because Buster Keaton was able to trick MGM into allowing him to go to New York to shoot some of the scenes for it, where he was able to shoot unsupervised and do what he wanted to do, which is part of why that makes why that film is really good. Because what you see if you look at Buster Keaton's career is you see The Cameraman, this glorious film that's their model of what's great. And then you see Buster Keaton slowly ground down into nothing by the studio that couldn't stop interfering in his films and pushing him around and crushing him until he's doing what no beer with jimmy Durante, you know and the same with the marx brothers so they when they started there they had to watch the cameraman Mm -hmm. this is what we think is great and now we're going to grind you down right so you're going to start with night of the opera you're you're the cameraman yeah and then you're going to end with your what no beer which is going to be the big store
0: yeah it's um i mean there's so there's so much to unpack there when you're showing someone you know a film and going this is what we want you to do mm-hmm. and it's a it's a great comedy movie well, if it was a great comedy movie, it's already in the past, and that's not what you should do, yeah. because it's been done. Mm-hmm. And even if you did almost a shot-for-shot remake, it still wouldn't work, because it was a different time, and you're not that. It's and a It silent makes film no too. sense at all. But yeah, sorry, the, the second thing was, you know, uh, this is the curse of the comedian, and the curse of almost anything, like artistic. If you're uh, not successful, uh, they've got notes. And they want to fix it. Yeah, you know, it, more more than likely, they just want you to get the he- the heck out of there. You know, because we because you know you Wait, but if it is successful, yeah, they got notes because they want to be a, put their fingerprints on it because they want to be around success yes. and want to have oh, their yeah. names on For it. Sure. So no matter what you do, mm-hmm. we got notes. <laughs> And they're probably the same notes because yeah. the people giving the notes only know what they like yeah. and, uh, and and only understand a certain thing, and sure. so it'll always be you know as as I say, like you ask a fish uh for advice, it'll be water related, and they're gonna they're gonna just give you the same notes
1: they give either way and yeah. yeah, it won't be helpful yes, exactly, and I think you know so there's lots of factors I mean yes, there's age, you know they're they're older, it's much harder to run around. They don't want to run around. If you can look, if we look at the end of the film, they obviously didn't want to run around at all because they don't run around. They're only there for close-ups, uh, where they kind of or where they pick themselves up, mm. you know, and stuff like that. But there's, if you watch the film, there's like no scenes with with them doing anything. Oh, okay. There's incredible. There's an incredibly tall Harpo running around in the film. <laughs> there's an incredibly muscular, Groucho running around. There's an incredibly lithe, Chico running around. But there is not Marx Brothers running mm. around. All right. So the shoot was apparently very amiable. A change from the bezel. Sets for one thing, everyone got along and there was very little friction. There was one disagreement between the producer Sidney and the writer Ray Golden, mm-hmm. which resulted in his dismissal. Okay. Other than that, there was little in the way of friction. This can be good. Like, so if I said to you, you know, I was doing a show with some people, mm-hmm. we got along well. We had a great time. We just laughed the whole time. It was fantastic. We never had any problems. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> because then when you hear that, you think no one cared, like no one cared enough to say wait. Is this good? Should we change this a little bit? What do you think?
0: No disrespect to the late Burt Reynolds, but uh, Cannonball Run 2, everyone had a great time working on that movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I've never seen it, but I... Of
0: course you haven't. Why would you? You don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) But by by gosh, they all had a lot of fun on set. (laughs) I'm sure they did. It was a real fun set.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because that kind of fun can just be indicative of indifference, of just going through the motions of just, you know, everyone's like, you get your pages, you look at them you go, hmm, Okay. You know, before it's not, that time, that's not worth fighting for. Grocho's like pulling into service stations and delivering the jokes to the to the the gas jockeys, and if they didn't laugh, he'd get back to the studio and say, "No one thinks that joke's funny. We need a new joke." Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't do that for this film. Everyone got along great. And you owe me for gas. <laughs> uh so the performance performance of the last two films obviously also guaranteed that there would be no tour to test the material for this film. Mm. But if you look at the movie, what is there to test? What scenes are there to test? Mm. There's very little in the way of scenes in this film. There's the office scene. There's the bed department scene, which would be very hard to do on stage. Yeah. There's no uh, Chico Groucho scene together. There's there's, no...
0: the, there's the Groucho musical number, uh, which I guess you could do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You, there wasn't a lot of laughs in that. No, You know?
1: no. Like, you're not testing that material. You don't need to test a musical. I mean, it's hard to test a musical because, like, a musical on film is different than a musical on stage. Like, a a musical number on stage. A musical number on film is tons of inserts and you stop and you reset and you do this and you do that. Right. You know, so that would be pretty hard to time. You know, it's, you know, there's no attempt at a stateroom scene. Like, even Go West, you know, which I thought was a pretty sad film. At least it tried for some kind of stateroom scene with a stagecoach having, like, the enclosed space and trying to get us kind of a jokey bit going there. It didn't work, but... Well, I mean,
0: they did try to build, and we'll get to it. In the bed scene, you know, there's there's so much chaos going on. But it's on. too big. Well, it's, that's the thing. It's not enclosed enough. You're yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. It's it's, And that's the least of its problems. And then
1: the other thing is it doesn't even follow, like, the Thalberg formula of this movie. There's no, like, park bench scene, like in yeah. Night of the Opera. There's no... Where's the lowest... Mo- where's the low mo- moment in this movie where the Marx Brothers say oh, this is terrible, let's rally and make this better. It never happens. Yeah. You know?
0: No one beats up Harpo either.
1: (laughs) Yes. Which is also, yeah, there's no like there's no like clear obviously he's a villain, but he's a villain just because he wants to murder everyone he meets. That's He's a villain.
0: Pretty, Pretty villainy.
1: I mean, it is villainy, but it's so crazily villainy. And that so
0: casually murderous. <laughs> you know?
1: It's so, It's kind of of the time. Like, didn't, yeah. didn't uh, what's it called Lavender and Old Lace come out at this time? Which is like a movie about a, a guy with two murderous ants.
0: Arsenic and Old Lace.
1: Arsenic, yeah, sorry. Arsenic and Old L- Lavender and Old Lace is the, the sequel, I'm sorry. And it's not as good. Not as good at no, all. No, but it's
0: very relaxing. It helps you sleep. <laughs> it's, very... it's nice. I know. There's a lot of, like, uh, gunplay in the in uh, in the sh- in the store. <laughs> It's like, they seem to be fine with, like, yeah. shooting and, a lot of guns and in they, the
1: store. They sure have a lot of them. Do they just have, like, a gun department? They should have shown that so we knew where oh, they kept Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have made sense. Been Probably back then they would have. Yeah, okay. So it was a 16-week shoot, mm-hmm. which at that time was considered a normal length of time to film a, a right. comedy musical. F- uh, four weeks was spent on the on the final sequence, the chase sequence. I didn't see the that, film. yeah. Uh, and the Marxists were allowed to keep one writer on staff, which was Sid Culler. They kept him on just in case, you know, they needed... Some some sort of pepping up of lines, and we can see there's a lot of lines that were pepped up because this is a pretty funny movie. You can tell. Can you tell I didn't think much of this film? Yeah, I,
0: yeah. Again, I'm I'm just happy to be around the Marx Brothers again. It's Oh, nice that's to the see thing, them. exactly. Like you, you, know, you watch it's, it. it, it's the Marx Brothers. Yeah, I'm glad to see Groucho. There's mm-hmm. Groucho. He's saying things. He's with Margaret <laughs> Dumont. I'm fine. This yeah. is good. Yeah, and then sure. we have the bed scene. But still, okay, we'll get
1: to that. It's a film that you would, you know, you could. I don't know if I would happily throw it on, but I would watch it again. And you know what? I was watching it. I was thinking, you know what? I haven't seen all of this movie before. I must have started watching mm. it like at some point later in the film because I didn't remember the office scene at all. And normally movies, I remember key sequences like that quite clearly. And I had no memory of it. So I must have like turned on, turned on the TV one day and it was on. I just started watching it. And uh, that was it. Uh, so let's talk about the film. Oh, can I, I'm i just going to give a score now for this movie, which was... Okay. Uh, uh, five roller skates out of 10.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: So as we said, as you said before, it's a kind of simply animated but effective opening sequence yep. uh, of spart- store images.
0: I noticed that the Marx Brothers share billing.
1: That's the, the weird thing. Yeah. Yes, they share billing with, with Tony Martin because the studio was pushing him more than they were pushing the Marx Brothers. That was a mistake. Because he's great.
0: Oh, everyone says it. Oh, he's Everyone the best. constantly says it's uh, Tony the, Martin. Yeah.
1: He's very successful, but not very successful. <laughs> he's great. He's amazing. So uh, the film opens with an establishing shot. This is a very important shot of the Gotham Conservatory of Music. Uh-huh. A building we will never see again. Sure. In the length of the entire film. Inside, Ravelli. Yeah. Chico, as I said before, a name recycled from Animal Crackers. Uh, fine with Ravelli. It's a good name. Is teaching piano to four boys. Uh, they have that kind of look of like, you know, they're kind of like... Tenement kids, I guess, or whatever, sure. like city city kids. Yep. Two tough moving men enter.
0: Okay. Well, let me just say. Oh, he's sure. Playing yeah. the, he's playing the piano, mm-hmm. and I like uh, I, I oh, like him playing the piano. That's great. I'm on board. The kids are good. I like uh, I like him saying to the kids, uh, "Play it like that." Like it's this crazy <laughs> style. These guys, like, all right, kids, you play it just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Then the repo men show up.
1: Yes, the uh, repo men um, come in and they attempt to repossess the piano. Right. The one of the moving guys. The one who talks. His name is Ethan Laidlaw. He had a long career. He was in, bon- he was in Bonanza. He was in Gunsmoke later oh, okay. on. And stuff. But he was also in one very important film for me, which is The Whole Town's Talking, which is a film with the um, overflowing bathtub. Ah. So as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, I've got to mention that. Right. It's a very important uh, milestone movie for me where I learned, I learned about editing. For listeners who don't know, it's um, The Whole Town Talking. It, it features Edgar G- Edward G. Robinson as a, in a dual role as a, as a bank clerk. And as a gangster, and at the beginning of the film, the uh, bank clerk character, Edward G. Robinson, gets out of bed. He's late for work. He's in a rush. He hurriedly makes. He starts getting dressed. He turns on the tub. He has his breakfast, Mm -hmm. and then he just leaves the apartment. And then there's a cutaway shot to the bath to the bathtub with water going into it, and it's just starting to overflow. Oh dear! We never see the bathtub again (laughs) for the length of the film. The ninety minutes of the movie—it's never YouTube mentioned. Is stay. They go back to the apartment yeah. during the movie. Yeah, there's no one there cleaning it up. There's no angry landlady asking why yeah. three stories, stories, three stories down, everyone's been soaked from a yeah, bathtub. Right. Nothing. No mention of it. Just fine. Just a bathtub. It's very weird. Like it's so weird. It's, it's it doesn't it doesn't even seem right that people were watching this movie. Like the studio were watching it, and someone didn't say, "Do we need this bathtub shot?" Because it really, I guess it's showing, him, showing us that he was in a hurry. But how about just show he left the tap running rather than he left the bathtub. For that's, a good po- that's a good point. <laughs> but anyway.
0: Now, let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, and maybe I missed, I missed the bit at the end. Be- uh, so, uh, we start and end the movie in the exact same way, which is uh, a repossession. So, it's an attempted repossession at the beginning of the piano, and it ends yep. with uh, the car being towed, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Is it the same repo company for both at all? They Is don't the, say it. Do, do they don't, I don't think they have a... They don't wear anything different, or they don't have a, like.
1: It's, say squ- it's Square Deal.
0: Yeah, it's like they That's prominently, the at the end, company. it feels like says... It prominently says at the end that it's yeah. square deal. So I wondered if, like at the o- yeah, opening, yeah. we missed out that it said square deal. Yeah, I that's don't. That's the same repo people.
1: That's a good point. I didn't. Uh, I didn't notice that. And I mean, I watched the film. Yeah, and it's just top and tail several with, times with, with, with that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but I like the. Uh, I think the repo guy is uh, you know Ch- Chico's go. You can't uh, do this. And um, showing that he's a good guy. Yeah. By the way, Chico in no way is a con man in this no. at all. That's no. just. That's chucked, gone, <laughs> which is too bad because it would be nice to see him trying to pull a fast one with a guy. Sure. Um, and uh, uh, but then yeah, he introduces the uh, the
1: the lead guy, the co lead. Yes. So Tommy. he he objects. Yeah. And he says, "Money's coming. Money's coming." Yeah. Tone, uh, Tommy Rogers is coming. Right. And this guy's like, and then we. Who's Tommy Rogers? Uh, he's a well-known singer. Well, show s- me. Well, I can show you this as attested to by the expository device of a newspaper. Well, though this time, uh, he actually reads it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which, for some reason, I don't know why that bothered me. I was just like, <laughs> I, I mean, I know Chico probably can read his yeah, character. Sure. Uh, but it was weird having him just read it out loud to the guy, yeah. you know, instead of we can't even trust the audience to, like, read these newspaper things yeah, yeah. anymore. No,
1: that's that's old hat now. But right. I
0: like that the guy, you know, sees sees that there's a picture of the guy in the paper and he's yeah. like... Well, he must have money. That's good enough for me. Yeah. A repo man. (laughs) Bye. What's that matter? Have you got the money? Then give me the money.
1: It's not just that. This is like, this is such a, this is such an exposition dump, this scene. Yeah. Because we we learn, we and the repo men learn, that Rogers was the protege of the late Hiram Phelps. Sure. A department store mogul who has left him a half interest in the store. Uh Uh-huh. So that's a very important moment. in the. So that's apparently a key moment of this movie. Like We have to know this. So we have to have this scene. Yeah. And at that moment, Tommy Rogers, i.e. Tony Martin, enters and tells Ravelli he brought the professor some money. He brought the professor some money. So we're like, oh, who's the professor? I can't wait to see the professor. This will be interesting. Sure. So in an indication of the studio's indifference to the Marx Brothers, and how much importance they place on the musical sequences of the big store. Like we said, Tony Martin was given equal billing to the Marx Brothers because he was a, a rising star. Sure. And they were wherever they were. Uh-huh. Uh, so the once tough but now deferential uh, repo men, they, they leave without... Oh,
0: a professional singer, yeah, eh? Yeah, he was about to break big. That's right. Well, See you, you can keep all your stuff. I'll come back tomorrow. That's right.
1: But did you get any money? No, we didn't get any money, boss. Because they're going to pay us later okay <laughs> you can keep your job like what seems so weird yeah i just like when people are absolutely in character uh tony martin i mean he had a long career he had a long long career as a, uh, he was He's got a, nice pipes he was, he was a vocalist and a band leader and then he was on radio and then in films but most importantly this is i didn't realize this about him but my respect for him went up 100 percent oh when i yep, learned that he yep. was married to sid Charisse. oh nice for 60 years because when you got a good thing going just stay there sid Charisse, everyone Sid <laughs> Uh Reveille tells the kids that the conservatory is now saved. And Hooray! You, and you've never seen kids get that excited about, about a conservatory. piano lessons. A conservatory. Oh, we <laughs> love
0: our piano lessons! And now can we go eat some broccoli? <laughs> We're kids.
1: Rogers uh, tells us that he plans to sell his share of the store and use that money to rebuild the conservatory. Uh, this is basically the only reason the scene exists. Yeah. Besides to establish that, as per usual, Chico's character is best buds with the romantic lead.
0: And he's nice with the kids, so we know that he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. And then I love, I love that it ends with all the kids playing together on the pianos. Wait, wait, wait. What? Don't jump,
1: don't jump ahead. All because right. don't forget, the professor. Don't forget about the professor. Yeah. Rogers and Ravelli leave to tell their professor the good news. We never see the professor or ever hear of him again. <laughs> so weird. Like, why are we talking about the professor? Oh. We don't see the professor. I
0: don't know why. I just assumed the professor was what they were calling Groucho.
1: No, they don't know who Groucho is.
0: Oh, for crying out loud! What? Yeah.
1: Okay, that's it's so strange. That's right? ridiculous. Okay, all right. And then we get you can t- get you can kids, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, the
0: kids all sit down and they play the piano, uh, Chico style. Ah, that's great. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. Like I just want to see them do that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Great opening with the uh, kids and the piano. I'm on. I'm on board. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's very cute. By the uh, way, a
0: lot of the Marx Brothers movies uh, have a, a death, a mysterious death, happened beforehand, where people are being left money, or Margaret Dumont is, uh, yeah. is widowed, yeah, and that sh- triggers something. It's a good she- plot yeah, device. It is, but uh, there, it could be a series of murders, always like mm, that, we see sure. off off screen, yeah, yeah. really trigger the comedy movie uh, that is sure. to come.
1: It's basically, yeah, it's basically a rule doll book. Mm. Someone's always someone's always dying to kick the plot off. Yep. Uh, cut to an establishing shot of phelps department store the bustlingness is established by some rapidly played xylophone yeah that's how you do it Do that are skeletons dancing <laughs> we are that's introduced what xylophones are what for. oh that's what for. yeah i thought you meant that's how you establish something is busy because no that's st- what zi- if you
0: got <laughs> xylophone music dancing. it's either things are moving quickly
1: <laughs> or, or skeletons, are, skeletons dancing. are dancing okay that makes more sense we are introduced to grover Played by, Dungus, Dungus, played by Douglas Dumbrell, okay. uh, who was uh, the uh, kind of the heavy in *I Date the Races. Very good. So that's and nice to see. a big, long
0: like, scene of establishing plot that I don't care here about. Here we go.
1: So let's, let's talk about uh, this. Let's
0: get through the plot, yeah.
1: So he's a store manager. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's instructing his crooked bookkeeper, uh, Fred Sutton, played by William Tannen. We learn that Grover and assorted store managers have been dipping their fingers into the till and need to cook the books to hide this fact. So, Grover is concerned that when Rogers sells his shares, the book cookery and the embezzlement will be revealed. We learn that Joan, the sister of Fred, Sutton, the bookkeeper, works in the store's music department and is dating Tommy Rogers. Mm. We also learn that a certain Martha Phelps, the sister of Hiram Phelps, owns the other half of the company. And if Rogers were to die, his shares would pass to Martha Phelps, and it is Grover's plan to marry Martha and take control of the store. After all this exposition, exposition sorry everyone, getting so excited, Grover orders his assistant, Duke, to get rid of, I mean, let's say Mr. Duke, I don't think it's his first name, his last name's Duke, uh, to get rid of Tommy Rogers. Duke's henchman is ordered to make Rogers disappear and make it look like an accident. And he does such a good job of this.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I like that he said, I said something along the lines of, yeah, you know me, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, don't screw it up. Like, okay, well, that's a little bit of a burn on the guy. First of all, how about get another guy then if he's a big screw-up? Well, Don't get him to do your murder, you dummy. He looked at the fact that he's wearing a plaid coat. He's too casual about it.
1: Yeah, he's way too casually dressed for this job. It's not
0: cool casual, it's just I don't care casual. (laughs) It's like he realizes this is the exposition scene in a Marx Brothers movie and no one cares what we're saying. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) All right, anyway. You gotta do a thing. Yeah, anyway, blah. Moving on.
1: Cut to Joan Sutton walking to the uh, department store elevator and pushing a button. Mm-hmm. So we establish that she's near the elevator. Sutton with a button. Point. Sutton with a button. Uh, now that that's established, we cut to the elevator interior where Rogers is telling Ravelli that he has an interested buyer. Mm. The henchman's, of course, eavesdropping on yeah.
0: this. Yeah. Well, hey, dummy! In a crowded elevator, spilling all this news. Yeah. You know, even if, even if. Yeah. Uh, it's not. You know, Thugs are in the elevator They're still the elevator operator mm-hmm. And he's going to be a gossip yeah. He's going to spill the beans to everybody So shut up
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're just a big dum-dum uh, Yes Suddenly yeah. the lights go out in the elevator And the thug whacks Rogers on the head Knocking him out cold mm-hmm. Not only not causing him to disappear It doesn't even look like it was an accident So he's told to make him disappear yeah. And make it look like an accident The lights go out the elevator He knocks him out cold and then that's it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The no. one thing that you do realize is that the floor is wide enough in an elevator that he can just lie down comfortably. It's a huge elevator. It's a really big elevator.
1: That's established later in that musical sequence, just how big the elevator is. Mm-hmm. It can hold a lot of people. This movie could, should have been called The Big Elevator. It <laughs> would have been better. Joan runs yeah, what, what the wait. hell is
0: he doing? Why is he knocking him out? That does nothing. <laughs> know, right? so dumb. I know. He's does he I'm... then try to grab him and, and Chico stops him or something? No, or is there anything. some confusion? He just
1: knocks him out. And and, the weird thing is, okay, Joan runs in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finds Rogers unconscious. Of course, she cradles him in her arms and and she's able to wake him. Then the thug gets off the elevator, sees Grover standing there, gives him a conspirational, you know, little wink like, hey, we're in this together. Like, job well done. And then he leaves. Yeah. And you're like, job not done. You didn't do your job at all. Here's the
0: only thing I could think of. Now, the problem is in a Marx Brothers movie, you can get knocked in the head. Uh, repeatedly, and you're absolutely fine. That's just, course. That's fine. In fact, you'll be fine. Like in like five minutes, and mm-hmm. you'll be walking around, and things are great. That's right. Realistically, mm-hmm. if if this is not a bad way to kill a guy, is like you're in a you're in an elevator. You s- smack him in the noodle really hard. Yeah, uh, one he could die from that. Yeah, or two it, 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 there's a lot of horrible things that can happen from smacking a guy in the head. Yeah. that way. yeah, maybe he's gonna die that way. And also he's now seems to he would like have a concussion and then he might fall down some stairs. It's actually not a bad plan if he was uh, actually going for it. But there's it, better it there's make better
1: ways sense. to do it. How would you do it? How would you kill him in an elevator like that? Make it look like an accident? Yeah. Well, I don't think I would choose the elevator as a place, but it seemed like a good moment. But if that's the case then You got a whole store full of things. Yeah.
0: I mean you got those killer automatic beds like later on. I mean you could kill a guy real easy with those. Mm
1: -hmm. Just uh just quickly inject inject him with uh like an overdose of insulin. (laughs) That would do it. Yes. And it looks like an accident. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> you said how you kill someone? It's, it's never funny to kill someone. That's that's not my goal here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, first first I you hey, need listen. to see a
0: movie called Arsenic and Old Lace. Listen, I think.
1: first I dress him as a clown, then I would inject him with insulin.
0: <laughs> and the movie is called Funny Business.
1: <laughs> the Big Funny Business. So Grover enters the elevator and leads Rogers away to his office to rest. Sure. Ravelli becomes very suspicious of a small, timid man who's waiting outside the elevator. And yeah, closely by the
0: way, He looks like he got a concussion. You take a nap. That's that's what you do back then. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. That was yeah. same on the train. When the, yeah, don't take him to the hospital. don't yeah, take like him that. to the hospital. Just, uh, it's fine. Just fine. So I just, yeah, this is, once again, this is another kind of weird scene where Chico sees a timid man who's standing by the elevator. Yeah. And of course, that's someone that's easy to, to, to follow because you're not scared of him. So then he starts following this guy. And anyway. Okay. <laughs> um... Just never mentioned it again. He shows up nope. at the office. He's not like, Yeah, I talked to this guy and I got some you know, nothing. Nope. Nothing. Maybe they met up with the professor. They don't, they don't follow him following him? They don't show how like a little sequence of him following yeah. him? Yeah. Like something happened. But there's a there's a reason you showed that, right? No, there's not huh. a reason. Meanwhile, in Grover's uh I always call it his front office. I'm not really sure. It's like a shared sure. Shared uh, um waiting room, I guess. Okay. Between his office and Tommy Rogers' office. Uh Martha Phelps, played by Margaret Dumont. Once again, great. Yep. She has money. Always yep. money. We can't We can't fault her. We can't even fault her for what happens in this movie because she's just great in it. She does nope, a great nope. job. No, she no,
0: she's, she's all right.
1: Uh, she insists that the police should be called. She's right. Worried about the attack on Rogers.
0: Yes. Yeah. 100% right. Yeah. Call them. Worried about that. Attack. By the way, you could probably call a doctor and he'd show up too. It's back then when doctors would just float around the city
1: and just show <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, they your show house. up. You could be in a hotel. House call
0: like that. You could be in
1: a hotel room. They just show up. Absolutely, in the hotel they room. will. Grover poo-poo's the idea Ugh. on the kind of bad publicity. Like, what's the bad publicity? No one knows what happened to him.
0: Right. Also, do the cops just immediately go to the press? <laughs> That's
1: the first thing they do <laughs> after you get after, after you get a nine-one-one, they immediately call the city desk. Listen. Yeah. Tommy Rogers got conked in the head in an elevator. Well, I guess that would be the news, because it's Tommy Rogers. Apparently very famous. Famous enough to sell two albums. Mm-hmm. As soon as he goes into his office, though, Martha immediately asks for the phone book and looks up a private detective. She finds the name Wolf J. Flywheel. Don't like that name.
0: That wasn't his first name, right, in the in uh, in the in the radio show, was it?
1: No. No, I think it was... It was
0: another W name, I believe.
1: Yeah, it was... Um, he was uh, Waldorf T. Flywheel. Better. Or Waldorf T. Beagle in the first uh, scripts. Less better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You need a you need a double double. You need doubles on both ends. You need a two two, syllable two syllable with a with a meaningless. Wouldn't uh, mind a
0: hard K sound in there if we could, but you know, it's up to it's up to you know your own personal taste. Hmm, That'd be hard to do with a name. It would. It would be difficult. You're correct.
1: Conrad. No,
0: no. Let's do. We'll uh, we'll spitball it later we'll on after about the later show. On, yeah, <laughs> we'll do.
1: We'll talk later. By the way,
0: listeners, uh, come up with your own. Uh, hey, yeah. this, is, this is a fun. That's thing a good. For yeah, listeners. that's a good idea. Here's the thing. Uh, come up with your own uh, Groucho Marx character
1: names that would be good. Yeah, please do. I have one. Okay, Titus J Andronicus. You're not going to laugh the same way you did last time because no, uh, no. you already heard uh, it.
0: Philip D Bucket. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's uh, no, not as good. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so we fade to the words "Wolf J Flywheel" painted on the window of Flywheel's office. Inside the uh, actual Wolf J Flywheel, played by Grocho, yeah, is sitting in his office. His, his office is a combination uh, bedroom, kitchen, and office. Flywheel is laying in bed, reading the paper, and stretching while listening to an exercise program on the radio. His assistant. He's doing yeah. He's doing some exercises. Yeah. some good leg kicks. Yep. Showing yep. a little
0: uh, good limberness mm-hmm. sure. still. By the way, this is way too long to be going without Groucho and Harpo to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get 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 to them earlier. For sure. Okay.
1: For sure. Um His assistant can't. his assistant wacky is cooking breakfast. All right. And they kinda fun gimmicky kitchen with a lot of kinda like with a chicken and a coop in the back and you know, it's kind. Of, it's okay. Like, yeah. it's sort of fun. I, I, I do. I have a bit of a soft spot for those sort of gadgety things. I always like the goodies for that reason. The British yeah. TV show The goodies. Or uh, and Peewee's Peewee's, uh, uh, Pee-wee's Yeah, with kind of sort of rube Goldberg things. And
0: you are a chicken owner yourself. I'm a chicken
1: owner myself, so I always appreciate chickens in the movies. I was looking to make sure that it's uh, looks good, it's in good fettle. Just as a uh, flywheel. Oh, fettle
0: is a good name for a groucho
1: character. There you go. With two Fs though, Phineas Phineas K. Fettle. Yep. <laughs> That's the way if you want the K in it, just put the K as the initial Yeah, you
0: didn't do two Fs, by the way, you did a P, a PH off the top.
1: But they're both but they're both F sounds, I meant. If you sure.
0: Alright. I'll I'll allow I, it. Did
1: I'm not gonna know? pronounce this pineus. No, please continue. <laughs> okay. Just as Flywheel sits down for breakfast, Martha Phelps arrives, and Flywheel and Wacky quickly convert the bedroom kitchen into an office. And this is sort of a fun thing. The bed, the Murphy bed goes up into the wall, and it becomes right. like a pretend file cabinet with liabilities and assets on it. They hide all the, uh, they have a kind of a, I don't know how you describe it, it's sort of a, an articulated table that goes yeah. down and goes underneath the desk with the hot pot and That's right. on it, so there's a coffee and the still percolating coffee and still the still frying, frying. Pan of eggs. yeah yeah it's still frying away they get pushed down into the desk now here's a here's a little problem i've got which
0: is, uh, later on, we're going to see a whole room full of these kind of devices. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That are in a store that's a regular store. Mm-hmm. That it isn't the Groucho came up with all these ideas. Yeah. Like, this seems like, oh, this is crazy and mm-hmm. wacky. Um, <laughs> but these guys live in, you know, cartoon land. It makes sense. You yeah, You put yeah. your bed up and it's a file cabinet. Yeah. And it's this and you hide the thing there. And that's, that's fine and fun. But then we're going to go to the reality. Yeah. And reality has hidden beds that turn into crazy things as well. But we've already just done that in this world. Yeah. So either Groucho, you know, later on should be like, you know what? You know what the, the, these are boring. What you got to do is... And it's like, he makes it like he made it in his office. Yeah. You know, that would make some sense. Sure. But that both reality yeah. and yeah, this crazy reality rate,
1: have the exact same gag. That would be my objection eh. to the to the scene, is that the beds are basically the exact same as the bed we already saw at the beginning yeah. of the movie. So it's not that exciting. You're not...
0: Yeah, there's only so much fun you can have with a Murphy bed. <sighs>
1: They're not even Murphy beds. I mean, we can talk about it later, but we will we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. All right, we'll get to that. We'll get to that scene, everyone. Sure. Hold your horses. Yeah, clothes rack is also uh, tilted up, so the clothes fly behind, and then yeah. it reads "Wolf J Flywheel Incorporated." Yeah, that's nice. I like I
0: like all the bits.
1: So Martha Phelps enters, wiping her feet on a large bearskin rug at mm-hmm. the door. Flywheel pretends he's busy taking talking to an imaginary employee over an intercom and taking phone calls from clients, as well as calling Trinidad. Which is good. Hello, Dad. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And gangbusters. I won't, be
0: home for, uh, I won't be home for dinner.
1: Calls the radio show gangbusters. Yeah,
0: who caught the guy last uh, yeah.
1: last night? Oh, Sheriff Hawkins. Uh, Congratulates him. Here's a, here's a little bit of trivia, though. Uh, it was a very popular program, but whose abrupt beginning had abrupt opening of squealing tires and gunfire, mm-hmm. which uh, inspired the phrase, came on like gangbusters. Because mm. it came on like gangbusters, so no, like, right away. Like, yeah, maybe, good. Uh, when Mrs. Phelps can finally get a word in, Fly insists insist that Wacky take down her story. This is absolutely my absolute favorite part of the whole movie. This one little sequence. Yeah. Actually, I enjoyed the whole scene in The Office. I thought yeah, the yeah. whole office sequence was great. Like, when, when that scene came on, you're like, oh, this movie's not going to be as bad as other people have right. hinted.
0: And it's unusual to have Harpo working with Groucho. It anything. really
1: is, but it's fun to watch. I always like them working together yeah, that's because a good combo. Groucho never hides his admiration for what Harpo's doing. Mm-hmm. Like he just watches him with such brotherly love it 's am- it's
0: amazing here was yeah they're actually this is a very brotherly love movie there 's some of that later on too. uh what I would have done, and again, this is our little thing where we go let 's uh let 's think we can write better than the Marx Brothers can. But where Groucho is, like, pushing the button with his foot to control it, yeah. I would have preferred if Harpo was in charge of the buzzing. Yeah, okay. So he had to keep oh, answering the yeah, phones yeah. quickly and, and making yeah, stuff yeah. like, ugh, I'm trying to... And know. Harpo
1: just keeps doing it faster and faster, yeah. so it becomes more and more impossible. Yeah, yeah and he has good. to do faster and faster things. That would have been good, yeah, yeah. That's good good joke. Good gag. Why don't why don't we get... Let's go back in time and we'll work on this movie.
0: So she's got exposition. She has my exposition. That so she says, like, seven times. As
1: Mrs. Phelps speaks... Wacky begins to hammer away in an amazingly loud antiquated typewriter. Yeah, it's good stuff. That begins to fall apart as he types, and it's just great. It's yeah. so good. Like Grocho's reaction is perfect, and you know you realize what where where Harpo really excels. What he's so good at is when he's being really funny. He's being very serious. Mm-hmm. He's always funniest when he's super serious. You know, like he's just he's totally concentrated. He's seriously doing this job, yeah. and it's just a complete mess, and it's a noisy. It's, just, it's good though. He also has to deal with the fact that toasters keep pop, the well, toast keeps popping out of the toaster in front of the typewriter as well. Yes. So he's typing, dealing with toast popping up every couple of minutes, and also the fact that the uh, carriage on the typewriter keeps flying yes. out of it, and he has to like put it back in. And it's amazing because it flies out of it entirely, and he pushes it back in. So it must have been like a wire or something. that Yeah, we can't there seems see. to be
0: a lot of wire work in this in this one. Yeah.
1: But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh, as he was so loud when she's finished her story, Flywheel asks her to repeat it. Only have it buried under the credible racket of the typewriter. This is the one part I didn't like, because I feel like Grosho shouldn't be saying to her, can you please repeat your story? He should be talking to, to Wacky, to Harpo, mm-hmm. and making quips about mm-hmm. how noisy he's being, or, you know, can you keep it down in some like, some, sort of, yeah. some sort of funny way of, of asking him to, to, to pipe down. But he doesn't. He just says, could you repeat that again? Mm-hmm.
0: Which isn't now in really more detail.
1: Yeah, now in more detail. Uh, fortunately, the typewriter breaks, and Flywheel can finally hear her story. Meanwhile, the frying pan and the percolator are still cooking away in the desk. Wacky, use, I also like that Wacky uses a fake arm uh, hidden in the closet to deliver fake employment offers to Flywheel. Yeah. Mrs. Phelps sits on the edge of the desk and complains of the, the heat. And I love that uh, that Groucho... Uh, uses his phone and says, Winthrop, have the janitor come up and break a window. <laughs> it's a great, great joke. Also, the fact that they're on the ground floor of the building. They're obviously on the ground floor. She walks in the doorway. Finally, Flywheel accepts oh, the, the janitor job. janitor could be in the basement. Yeah, it could be. It's, yeah, you're right. Finally, Flywheel accepts the job from Mrs. Phelps, at first asking $20,000, but then accepting her offer of 500 As his breakfast overcooks, smoke begins to pour to the desk. Flywheel tells her that it is a smokescreen to protect him from local gangsters. Yeah. As he leaves the office, Flywheel picks up the bearskin rug from in front of the door and puts it on, revealing <laughs> it to be a threadbare or maybe furbear bearskin coat. Wacky's brushing of it sends more fur on the ground and creates a large ball spot on the back of the coat. So it's very good. I still like that part, too. Yeah. Even though oh, so I'm so divided, I guess I've gotten used to this now, the idea that Groucho has to live in the real world and he can't just like have whatever he wants, you know, like in duck soup. He doesn't have to pay the ultimate price of eating crackers in bed. Like, if we laid in a bed with crackers filling our bed, it would be uncomfortable for the rest of our lives. Mm. But it's fine. He can do it. He can just have crackers all over his bed, roll around in them, break them, have like crumbs all over the place. It's fine. So how would it's you good. play
0: it out if he was not in the real world?
1: I mean, in, world? This, in this movie? I don't know. Because this movie, you know, it, it's so difficult because they're playing characters. Mm. Like, he is a private detective. You know, like, in, in uh, Monkey Business, what is he? He's a stowaway. He's not. doesn't have a job. He doesn't yeah. have something he's supposed to do. In Duck Soup, he's a college professor. He's a college professor as much as I'm a bowl of soup. Like, he's in no way does he do his job ever in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so in this film, though, he really is expected to be doing, being a private detective. And when he's not, it's disappointing to me as a viewer because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And he doesn't, and he's, so he's not the hero of the film. He's often an obstructor of, of stuff, which doesn't really work when you set him up as to be a, have a job then to be a, a sympathetic hero kind of character, he has to do that job. But instead he doesn't in many instances. He, he kind of fobs it off on other people or ignores it or whatever. So I don't like that element of it for sure. Like if you're going to set up a situation comedy, like situation where the char- they have characters to play and they have to like, you know, react to the situation, you know, then they have to react to the situation. Not They can't be the Marx Brothers then. They have to be, like, actors. Acting. Though he
0: can be the character who is the... Uh, he is the con guy. He yeah. is the negative character. Because like, there's always a character who's the bad character mm-hmm. in a sitcom. And I think we have got uh, Chico now being the direct good guy. Yeah. You know, he's the best friend with the sure. person. He's good with the kids. So we've got that already. Groucho can be, you know, still trying to pull a fast one. And then they all going to get sucked into this world, like, later on.
1: Okay. Outside, we see Flywheel's car, sure, an antiquated jalopy that he still has as a demonstrator's model. Yeah. He, hasn't, he hasn't decided if he's going to buy it or not. As the car drives off with a, loud, with a loud backfire and a puff of black smoke, the car's advanced age is hinted at by a sign reading, Welcome Home, Admiral Dewey, Hero of Manila, which is a reference to uh, the Battle of Manila Bay, which was fought in 1898. So, uh,
0: yes. And Margaret DeMont's seat uh, goes oh, down. <laughs> her seat collapsing. Yes, which he says is to, uh, you know, in case of gunfire.
1: Yes, to avoid being seen. Uh, and he, but also he graciously uh, offers to change seats with her as well, sure. which is nice. Upon arriving at the department store, Flywheel charges Wacky with looking after the car. Wacky finds Mrs. Phelps' wallet in the back seat, where it must have fallen out of her purse. When she did the big fall. Mm. Inexplicably, he begins to empty the contents of the back of the car out onto the sidewalk. I don't really know why he did that.
0: It just felt like a... It, didn't someone say he had to do something? He had like... to fix
1: the door. Yeah. The door the... falls off and Groucho goes to open it. Yeah. Or he goes they... to open, sorry, when he goes to open it, the door falls off.
0: Right. I think there was some sort of line. But anyway, it, it was like, okay, so the car is basically Harpo's Coke now and there's just like ridiculous amounts of stuff in it. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, the the department store doorman, there mm-hmm. was, once such a job. It's pretty amazing. The dur- department store doorman goes over and, you know, tells him, they, you know, get that. They can't be doing that, which he ignores. But then a policeman comes up, and he quickly. Then the film is sped up so that he quickly yeah. throws everything back in. Oh, the hilarity! Nothing funnier than someone throwing things quickly back and into a car. If you like
0: uh, an overcrank camera, you're going to enjoy <laughs> the end of this movie.
1: <laughs> in the store, we go to Grover's office, where Grover inspects the books cooked up by Fred Sutton. Grover makes a barely veiled threat against Fred's sister, afraid that his embezzlement racket will be exposed. Meanwhile, Joan and Tommy are canoodling in the music section when they are approached by a little old lady, played by Clara Bandick, and you know her, you just don't know that you know her. Okay, where do I know her from? She's Auntie M in The Wizard of Oz.
0: Oh, good on her.
1: Uh, looking to purchase Tommy's latest record, If It's You.
0: Because uh, because uh, they've sold out, and they, yep. and sold out means they've sold two copies. <laughs> So this is the third person who yes. will be buying this. Yeah, is that right? Which is so, a weird thing. Is that what right? they said? we sold out both copies? Yeah, both copies. <laughs> Two. So it's like, you know, he, as successful as the, this news article yeah, yeah. ain't really doing a lot of, yeah. you know, isn't coming on like gangbusters, as they say. <laughs> but luckily, they found the third person who wants his album, and it's her. There you go.
1: Joan informs this sweet old biddy that uh, the record is sold out. So get
0: out of here.
1: For Tommy... Huh? <gasps> So, well, they offer her sheet music. Yeah. But then Tommy offers to record a personalized copy using a home recording machine that happens to be located in this music department. Sure. He records the boring song for her, accompanied by <laughs> mysterious strings that come out of nowhere, uh-huh. which is, you know, a movie. It's a movie musical. Yeah, If that bothers
0: you, then everyone breaking out into songs. Yeah, surely, yeah. No, I'm fine, I, I'm fine with that.
1: I'm fine with that. But I just think it's sort of funny that, because in the scene, he's supposed to be recording the song and then. It's just kind of weird. Like, you introduce the idea of him recording a song in a noisy department store. Yeah. And while I was watching the sequence, because the song is so boring and so dull yeah. and dumb, I actually, what I liked though, is watching people, the uh, extras, walking around in the background of the scene, like, mm-hmm. they're pretending to be shopping and stuff like that. I was like, oh, well, this is kind of fun. <laughs> After Tommy gives, not even sells, he just gives her the disc, Joan comments on his transformation from the toughest kid in our neighborhood Hmm. Which This way we know he ain't no sissy. I think that's what that kind of... Establishes oh, that. you got to make he's sure... He's a manly guy. You got to get that. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to take get a man.
0: bump on the noggin and you'll be uh, yeah, yeah.
1: all right. But she also warns him of the danger he's in. Oh. Mrs. Phelps and Flywheel enter Grover's outer office, where she introduces him to Grover. Mrs. Phelps wants Flywheel to be incognito and introduces him as the new floor walker. Grover protests that the sir has enough floor walkers and asks for Flywheel's qualifications. Flywheel informs him that he was a shoplifter for three years. (laughs) It's a good joke. It is a good joke. Grover and Flywheel become jealous of one another as they recognize they are rivals for the hand of Mrs. Phelps. Ah. Tommy and Ravelli enter the outer office. Flywheel introduces himself to Rogers and Ravelli informs him that he is Rogers' bodyguard. A surprised Flywheel indiscreetly lets drop the fact that he is Rogers' bodyguard, forcing Mrs. Phelps to explain herself to Grover. When she scolds Flywheel, he he kind of winds her back in by... By quoting poetry to her. Quotes yeah. Byron, which she loves, so she returns and quotes Shelley to him and he recognizes Shelley. Which yeah. kinda of like that's kind of an odd scene, but Yeah, I kind of it like is it. odd, like what yeah. Because it does create a connection between them.
0: But it feels like he should be do a twist on that. Shelley yeah. and then like you yeah. know, the wrong Shelley, like Mary Shelley or something.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know, Mary Shelley. But yeah. I don't know if there's a Shelley that you could yeah, there should be something that That's a Frankenstein joke.
0: There'd be something there.
1: That's kind of a little, well, maybe. That's a little too. What are you, S.J. Perelman? Bring in your literary references. All right.
0: Yeah, it is a sincere little bond they've got, yeah, though. It's a yeah. sweet scene, which mm-hmm. you don't expect.
1: No, it's nice. Okay. Back outside on the street, Wacky uses a fake fire hydrant to create a parking space for yeah, the. I for like the that. Old, That's fine. For Flywheel's hunk of junk car. As Wacky enters the store, he drops a wallet and makes the department store a doorman suspicious. The doorman is played by Edgar Deering. Another marks Brother alumnus. He uh, or alumna. He played uh, the speakeasy bartender in Horse Feathers, and he also appeared in Million Dollar Legs, the film <laughs> that Harpo's wife Susan Fleming was the uh, lead in.
0: And someone, someone in our audience, is very happy with that reference, and we're good. <laughs> yeah, that felt a little weird. That you know they saw him drop the the purse, and uh, and and then. It just was a weird scene. It was yeah. Like, yeah. Does, well, he, does he look like a hobo? And so that's the thing. Well, so he does I, look like a hobo, but. I got you. But, like, is that the thing? Like, you're clearly like a yeah. person who's, like, stolen this? And mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, eh, well, it's just. Well, it's just.
1: Yeah. It's just an odd scene. It sequence. moves
0: things along, but it moves things along in a weird
1: in way. In a dumb way, because then. The problem is is how it builds from then. So Wacky goes to return the wallet, but rather than return it directly to Mrs. Phelps, he turns it into the lost and found where he's accused of being a thief.
0: Which is the opposite. He's returning it to the lost and found.
1: Exactly. Then he attempts to run away, but destroys about $1 million worth of antique vases and is captured, (laughs) which is so, it's not not a Harpo joke, him running and smashing into a bunch of vases. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a Harpo joke. Like, Harpo is magical. He's not a... Uh, insane person or a crazy nut who just runs around and smashes into things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not his character, so it no, feels really if odd. It,
0: if this was an older movie, it would be you know he returns he returns the thing. And it's like is yeah. that all you've got to return? He remembers and he picks up other stuff out of his coat and he just brings out all the stuff that he's found like yeah. over the time and then like yeah. you know yeah. they just and just load up the uh, the lost and found. But yeah, it's just so weird. Like I'm returning this purse. Oh well, you stole it. Well, he's not asking for a reward. Yeah, what the. Oh, we got you. What? What's that? Uh, nothing. Nothing about that makes sense. Then why are you running?
1: Well, he doesn't need a reward. Because when the uh, clerk of the Lost and Found looks in the purse, we when we saw it earlier, when Harp, when uh, Wacky found it, he opens it up and there's a, a lot of money inside it. Mm. When the Lost and Found clerk opens it and looks inside, there's no money inside mm. it. So he doesn't need a reward. He's, he's taking his own reward. Flywheel takes credit for the capture of the crook who stole Mrs. Phelps' purse. When Wacky is delivered to Grover's office, he is revealed by Mrs. Phelps to be Flywheel's driver and by Ravelli to be his brother.
0: Which will be... Okay. All right. Yep. There we go.
1: Flywheel recovers by claiming that he set this all up to show the baseness of Grover, accusing an innocent man of being a thief. Mm. He returns the wallet to Mrs. Phelps and further demands the money and a powder puff from Wacky, who, surely for safety's sake, has put them in his own pockets. Which is good of him, I think. Just to be safe. Sure. I just like how uh, Groucho plays that scene where he's just like, you know, takes the wallet and then immediately puts his hand there for the money. Yeah. Puts his hand again for the, I know you. Grover loses his temper with Flywheel, causing Flywheel to express his contempt for Grover's management of the store. This leads into an elaborate musical number called Sing While You Sell. And what do you think of this?
0: Okay. Here's the things I liked about it. Okay. I liked Groucho's dancing.
1: Yes, he's always great. I love his limber, yeah. leggy... That
0: I just was fine with. Yeah, that's great. Uh, when I realized it's not going to be a funny song... Yeah, which it's is not very funny.
1: weird. Wait, not you, even didn't, very wait funny, you, you didn't know? laugh at... Uh, there's no pan without Chopin? There's no selling a... Is it without Chopin, you can't sell a pan? It's like that. Anyway, it rhymes Chopin and pan. Okay. I thought that was brilliant.
0: Okay, well, picks and pans. Yeah, no, I liked his. I liked his dancing. I liked, uh, you know, I thought it was a musical number. Yeah, it was fine. It didn't necessarily belong in this. Mm. It seemed like it was in uh, from another musical completely. And at the at the very end, uh, mm. where he's doing the asides, that just felt like a little bit cheap. It just felt like, well, incorporate them in the songs where it's like uh, all the different uh, gowns and and oh, he, that and, was and he'll just like turn and it's, it's like weird, a, isn't it? Like it just turned to the camera and like uh, do a joke. It felt like it really did feel like we'll put the joke in later, yeah, and yeah. then we'll do a lot of takes and we'll, we'll sure. find a funny one and the and the one that they they kept in in full shot was it's a beautiful red dress, but you know with Technicolor so expensive, which I did like that.
1: So it was like. What happened there was the jokes that were in the film originally fell f- flat, like they was they they bombed in the okay. in the previews, so they recut it. So that's why there's cutaways to Groucho, rather than them being full. So because they just did retakes and just had him say the lines to the camera yeah. and insert those into what the it shot. Felt, what it felt by the like... way, those jokes are no better. This is a California dress. You can see all the way to Catalina. What does that mean? Yeah, you see all the way to Catalina. Does that mean something? Am I missing a the joke there?
0: It sounds dirty you can see all the way to Catalina sounds dirty it's not uh, lydia you know it sounds like uh, a leftover joke from the lydia song uh, but it just reminds me of uh what patton Oswalt oswald talked about when he used to do doctoring of uh, comedy films, yeah. and they'd say write jokes that you can yell from off camera, and you just fill in, you know, spaces, or like it'd be uh, like a car driving away, and it's now the people talking in the car, and we can just add the jokes afterwards. Okay, it just felt like so
1: after jokes. Yeah, yeah. Like That's there what it wasn't yeah. Yeah. The, the rewrites, yeah, yeah, the rewrites and shoot But again, so.
0: uh, Groucho's dancing, uh found delightful. Oh, what it really reminded me of, actually. The type of dancing and movement was, to me, the the opening of uh, the Woody Allen film "Everyone Says uh, I Love You." Okay, uh, with Edward Norton sure. doing that kind of dancing, uh, and 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 of course that movie then has a big Groucho impression uh, yeah. s- uh, number l- later on. That's so right. Maybe there was some sort of like influence uh, influence
1: in there. There probably was. So yeah. Oh wait, does this does this oh, song
0: also have the um, the The Rockabye Baby, yeah. in it? Oh yeah. my God, I love that so much. Yeah, that was probably really one good. of my favorite things
1: in the whole movie. Yeah, she's very good. That's she is really good, Virginia O'Brien. Yeah,
0: and uh, a... now I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull a Dave. Yeah, and I'm gonna give you one degree of separation. Okay, and just go. You know who she was married to?
1: I do know who she's married to. Who? Kirk Ellen, the who first is? Superman.
0: Very good. <laughs> I know. Those are great. <laughs> I know she's yeah. married to two other guys. Yeah, too, yeah, right, yeah, Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a weird mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Like it's just, she's just singing this song, yeah. deadpan, and then rocking this baby really fast <laughs> while this, it's very strange. And then they keep cutting back to her, and she's still got that weird look on her face. Like, yeah.
1: what's her story? What's this about? Well, so let's just go through the she's song. the best then.
0: part of that musical Oh, album, for sure. By far. For sure.
1: For sure. So, well, because no one ever, no one really gets a, a, a full. To, a full thing to show their talent. So because we have, start with Groucho singing. Right. Uh, but then it also features the close harmony group, Six Hits and a Miss. Is that the cotton who, picking the guys? No, no. Those are the, the people singing on the elevator to him. When he steps on the elevator, there's a group of, oh, of six guys with a, with a woman. Okay. Six guys, six hits, and yep. a miss. All right. And so they sing to him. And then in that amazingly large elevator, they can fit sure that many people then it goes into the sort of uh, kind of dixie or not you know sort of south southern sort of sound yeah. and then we have the black singing group who i think are called the four dreamers uh and th- that continues a little the over the top the way there, down south the, and the dixie con- thing yeah with the yeah. cotton
0: picking stuff sure. not the greatest but okay that, we'll the, forget about it later with more things that will come
1: so we have that section of song then we have this a woman named faith kruger who sings of wanting to buy a bassinet uh huh. Then we have the featured interlude with Virginia O'Brien, which Great. you mentioned. Great, O'Brien singing "Rockabye My Baby." So good. Uh, now O'Brien, just so you know, was known by various nicknames at the time. All right, uh, many names actually, including Miss Red Hot, Frozen Face. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Miss Deadpan. Uh uh-huh. And Frozen Face again. And then, while well, performing in, so what happened was she really wanted to perform on stage, so she got into this uh, production in L.A. of a musical comedy called Meet the People. But on her first night performing, she became so paralyzed with stage fright that when she, sang, when she sang her numbers, all she could do was like sing with this deadpan stare out into the <laughs> audience, singing. But because it was a comedy, the audience thought it was intentional and were just convulsed with laughter and thought yeah, it was hilarious. It's good. It's so good. And in the audience was Louis B. Mayer, ah. who also thought it was hilarious. So she got signed to, to MGM. Nice. So she's in quite a few MGM films. She's in the clouds roll by. She's in the Harvey Girls. In fact, the Harvey Girls, when she did that movie, she was pregnant. And because Judy Garland, being such a troublesome act- actress or having so many troubles in her life, postponed the sh- – they made the shoot so long that they actually had to cut Virginia O'Brien out of the, out of the, the latter half of the film because she couldn't hide her pregnancy anymore. Ah, uh, okay. And so, yeah, may- maybe Judy Garland meant to do that. Yeah, she does great –
0: again, she does great uh, uh, voice mm-hmm. a bit great face stuff oh yeah but the side thing that she's doing where she's just rocking the baby
1: really hard yeah too hard yeah
0: just like that just made me laugh so much yeah she's very good she's very good and then again great groucho dancing
1: uh yeah she often played like a bad girl in the the movies as well i guess because she had dark hair that was kind of
0: and then at the end of it groucho's got the uh alfalfa hair which uh, i'm not 100 percent on board with
1: so then we have a dance number okay with groucho which you like sure with an unfortunately uncredited dancer there's a woman he dances with in that sequence That I yeah know, it's nice good because cool. it's too big because i think it's a feature role and she should have been credited yeah. uh the number also features a big group of dancers in the background and then a weird oh sorry then we have the when we have the fashion show interlude that's uh-huh. later echoed in singing in the rain it's a similar thing where they have they have like a fashion sure thing yeah sequence all right yeah yeah but it's done, for, done kind of straight. But it's weird. Like, it's basically just to uh, show off women. Basically, mm-hmm. that's what it is, right? Yep. Here's some beautiful girls. Look at them. And then then we have the, another weird moment where Harpo, wearing a turban, uh, is a snake charmer uh, who is joined by Groucho, also wearing a turban, uh, which mysteriously disappears when he gets up to dance later as well. It's kind of odd. But I think the... And I just was watching that. I was just kind of like, whoa, this is nothing. What is this going on here? And then, but I like the fact that they turn the basket over later yeah. and they're playing cards on it. That's good. That's more Marxian than than the dumb the dumb snake charming stuff. And then the number ends with a large platform with some of the dancers and the the feature performers on it. So it's got Groucho and the girl dancer and Virginia O'Brien and, and Harpo coming rolling toward the camera. And then weirdly it's from inside the elevator that you've seen. them. so all the, all the performers have to sidle along on the platform. Yeah. So they're still in shot and then uh and then it cuts to them in the elevator, and they wave goodbye, and the elevator doors close, and that's that's the end of the number.: Hooray, Actually, I enjoyed it quite a bit because I just like musicals, though, so, so yeah. you know if you put a musical number into a movie, the song isn't that great, but yeah, I was just happy to see Groucho singing again, yeah. but like again, and if dancing. you got a if you got a Groucho song, it should
0: be a funny song. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I do like that the arrow kind of syncopated, it kind of moves and it moves in, Oh I didn't uh, notice rhythm that. to the music, but that's good, yeah, yeah. before it stops. They go to floor number seven, I notice as well. Yeah.
0: By the way, this feels like if you were if you gave a damn about plot, yep. this would be the scene where Groucho changes how the store works. You know, it's just like, Yeah, let's make the store like that. So when the store is kinda crazy later, yeah. Yeah, it makes because Groucho they they had to put all these changes in.
1: Yeah. 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 That would have been good. That's the whole that's, thing. Is like, how do we the... run a store? Mm-hmm. Let that's... me
0: tell you how you run a store. Well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to boop, doot, doot. So the next time you see, maybe those things are in place, but now it doesn't matter. That's all just was... part
1: of the plot of the radio show is that Groucho takes over the, the management of the store while the manager's away. Huh? And when he comes back, they're selling pianos like gangbusters. He says, "Oh, how are you selling them so fast? Selling them? We're giving them away for everyone who spends over a dollar." So,
0: which they kind of do in this as well later on.
1: They do give away pianos. No
0: beds. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They're just like. We've got to get a bunch of people in. All right, let's 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 do Clear a quick bed sale.
1: Clear out. Cut back to the plot. Ah. Yes, yawn. Back in Grover's office, he meets with Peggy, who's Mer- oh, played by Marion Martin, famously uh, inspired a legendary punch-up between the Great Gildersleeve star Harold Peary. Do you remember the Great Gildersleeve's radio show? Uh, I just know Ooh, of it. Well, kind of that kind of voice. I know Ooh. parodies of it. Oh, there you go. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah, a punch-up between Harold Peary and Warner Brothers' uh, a high-ranking executive named Bud Stevens, they had a big punch-up in the Mocambo nightclub oh. in 1943 over this woman that uh, plays Peggy. Mm. But she's a hard-boiled dame whose job it is to lure Tommy out to a roadhouse where the boys will finish him off.
0: And mm-hmm. mm. make it look like an accident.
1: Yeah. yeah. Tommy has been told to expect her as she is an important music critic. That's what he's told anyway. It is revealed that Grover has promised to marry her in six months once Mrs. Phelps has been married and dealt with more murder hilarious yeah. this
0: is really a complicated way to make a
1: buck <laughs> an obnoxious obnoxiously singing tommy meets joan at the music counter and they go out for lunch after a uh after a cute bit where the marxists volunteer to watch the music counter until joan's co-worker returns from lunch and when i say cute i don't mean f- it's cute in an enjoyable way it's a cute cute a kind of like why are they acting like that mm. and why is harpo hiding in a, in a bench so he can pop out of it well i'll help look after the counter Do you all have to do it? No, you don't. I don't know. Seems wacky.
0: Let's see what happens. They all got to look after things. Oh, yeah. It's going to
1: be great. It's going to be hilarious. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. (laughs) Peggy arrives for... You know
0: what? You missed the scene with the professor. It was great. (laughs) He shows up. Gets into all sorts of mischief.
1: I I must have fallen asleep. Must have nodded off. Peggy arrives for her interview with Tommy, only to learn that he has gone to lunch with Joan and doesn't want to meet her. She is quite rude to everyone and decides to wait for Tommy at the millinery counter. All right. Harpo closely follows her to the millinery counter, where Peggy rudely demands that a hat be made for her of the same material as her dress.
0: Well, that's going to take a long time.
1: Yes, she is cross when the sales lady at the counter informs her that there will be a few days wait for the material to come in. Peggy demands that the hat be made for her right away. While the harassed clerk is on the phone, Harpo takes takes matters into his own hands by cutting a large chunk of material from the back of Peggy's skirt. I do like Harpo with scissors. Yes, I do. I do too. Peggy, still rude and angry, tries on the hat at a mirror, uh, showing a good deal of leg because much of the back of her dress has been cut away. Mm-hmm. I like that. She decides that she doesn't like it and leaves, never to return, and we assume, stranding the boys at the roadhouse as they wait for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're ready to do some murder. Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. Do they still get paid their murder rate? I hope they get something.
1: They should get paid they should get paid something. Maybe they, they have to murder each
0: other and uh, <laughs> they get paid for that.
1: It's just so weird. She's introduced. She's gonna be the lure. She's gonna lure Tommy into the situation. Yeah. He's not at the counter, he's having lunch with Joan. She leaves.
0: This seems to be a the this end. seems to be a standard thing <laughs> where there's like the evil woman yeah. who is like you know I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and then and then we'll, we'll vow revenge or something and then we'll never see her again. It doesn't matter.
1: Are you thinking of the character in Day of the Races?
0: Uh, I'm trying to think. It was someone who was trying to seduce.
1: Yeah, trying Groucho. to seduce Crowe That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then like cr- you uh, haven't
0: tr- heard the last of me. And that's then, right. That was the last
1: of her or that's, something. That's yeah. right. That's the last we see of her after she. Shouts that, to, uh... You'll pay. You'll pay. Never you'll pays. You'll pay. It's the next day. Oh, very good. We see Joan clock in. Very important that we see her punch in. Then we know that she's actually at work. And it's also it's the next day. Yeah. Her brother calls her name and she tells him she's worried about Tommy because she hasn't been able to reach him. Fred, her brother, tells her that Tommy and his three bodyguards were up until five in the morning going over the books. Why are they going over the books? <laughs> Why are they going over the books? <laughs> yep. They were so tired that they, want, they went to sleep in the store's bed department. I think
0: like any any uh, any time you don't understand something, the professor's involved.
1: Okay. So they just cut those scenes that, late, yeah, later the, on yeah, for, uh,
0: for reasons that we can't really get into. We didn't
1: know. He's actually a professor of math who uh, teaches music. Joan is then worried that he might miss an important meeting at 10, but Fred tells her not to worry. Tommy is in his office now. All right. So good we'll get that out of the way. All worked out good. It's all, it's all fine. Cut to an angry Grover telling someone on the phone that they have to get the three bodyguards out of the bed department. We then cut to the hapless manager on the other end of the phone, who's advised by Duke to start a sale in the bed department and drive the bodyguards out.
0: This really I like <laughs> there's so much wrong with that. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, so there's gonna Unpack, be please. there's
0: gonna be such a huge run in the bed department that they're gonna have to leave. So are yeah. people in the store? Yeah. They're gonna like slash prices on beds yep. and people will spontaneously go, You know what? We I should buy a bed. Yeah. Like that's what people do? Mm-hmm. Like, no. Like, do they know from outside that there's a run on beds? Like, no. That's not that makes no sense whatsoever. Does it? No. Like it could be any like if it was something like, you know, uh women's hose or something like, well, then all the gals will just storm and, and it'll be like but beds, yeah. especially the freakazoid beds we're going to
1: see in this make a uh, lick of
0: sense. Yeah. Okay.
1: What they should have had was a was this giant conga line going through the store. They, they can't resist joining, and then they, they go out of the store, and then they get locked out. Right. Oh, by the way. And they have and they, to get back in. And they have that run on
0: beds, mm-hmm. but it seems to only attract cartoon characters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: right? Oh. Like, even just by the
0: plot they've set up. Oh. We're going to drive them out of the store.
1: Oh, man. Okay. Well, we're going to get to it. Oh, man. All so right. We're we, cut, us to sleep. we cut to two main maintenance workers putting up a sale sign. Okay. One of them is confused. They're selling the store in an hour, and it started a sale, he says. So that's a little more exposition. We know, oh, they're selling the store in an yeah. hour. And but we had these signs
0: ready, luckily. Oh, yeah.
1: Luckily. A woman. And the timid, and I think he's the timid man that Chico followed the day before. Okay. But I'm not sure. Yeah, they look similar.
0: By the way, this is how people will know there's yeah. a sale in the bed department. Is yeah. You put up a sign in the bed department. That's right. Saying sale.
1: That's right. That's how people will know to oh, go yeah. to it. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, phone, calm down. That's the more you know. That's the more you know. Oh, so yeah, the woman and timid man come into the department. They enter the, it's not just the bed department, it's the in the wall bed department. That's what it says, a sale on in the wall beds. Okay. The woman. A woman's played by a uh, lady named Jan Duggan, who appeared in five W.C. Fields movies. Ah. That's pretty good. All right. Usually with names like Mrs. Sledge. Okay. Such things. Uh, She's excited to show a bed she saw yesterday to her husband, Henry, who was played by this guy named Harry C. Bradley. Okay. Who's an amazingly busy character actor. For instance, in 1936, one year, he appeared in in 28 films. (laughs) It's crazy, right? And more importantly, he had a small role in uh, Eddie Cantor's The Kid from Spain.
0: Doesn't feel like you should be in more movies than you could possibly see in a year.
1: <laughs> uh she pushes the button, and the bed hidden behind a working fireplace slides out from the wall, revealing a sleeping flywheel.
0: And we're 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 kind of on board a little sure, bit, right? So at this it's point, okay. even though hey, it's it's weird because we've seen his bed go into the wall, mm-hmm. but okay, all right. So far, so not terrible. Yeah,
1: okay. But then, and flywheel then? insults the man and the woman, and they storm off. He goes back to bed. Mm-hmm. Next. A large Italian family enters the bed department right. and approaches a sleeping flywheel.
0: And it's one of my favorite jokes in the whole, uh, in the whole movie. Which is? Which is uh, Groucho looks at the kids, all the kids, and says to the couple, do you have any other hobbies?
1: <laughs> that is a good one. Right?
0: That is good. That is good. It's not quite, uh, <laughs> I take the cigar out of my mouth once in a while, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's fairly close.
1: Yeah. Uh, flywheel advises the father to push a button on the other side of the room. He does, and a three-level bunk bed rises up out of the floor, revealing Ravelli and Wacky. Here, just let me just say something about these high, these in a wall. What are they called? In a wall? hide in, in a wall bed or whatever. Right. Okay, so the idea is that they're they're space-saving beds, but they're not space-saving. You have to have an equally large area underneath the beds yeah. to hide these beds.
0: Yeah. What floor of the of the store is this? Yeah.
1: And where did that go down yeah. into? And where are you gonna put this in your apartment? Are you gonna like have it go through your neighbor's apartment this is, below?
0: This is fully yeah, that's the problem.
1: It's like you're <laughs> starting so with such a
0: huge cartoon premise. Yeah. Yeah. We're already starting the idea that
1: things just disappear when you can't see them.
0: Crazy wacky yeah, light. Like yeah. But okay. Yeah. So, you know, and that's okay if you're gonna go somewhere, yeah,
1: whatever with it, but okay, so we've we've established sure. that. We've established that we have a, a Barclayan concept of, of the universe. Right. That's for all you philosophy majors up there. You're welcome. The
0: worst thing in the movie, and it's not the thing that you're going to be thinking it is, but it's coming up in a
1: few seconds. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Rivelli wakes up and asks what they want. The father, Giuseppe, played by a guy who, this was his living, playing this sort of character. Yeah. You know, you can see he has a character down pat. Yeah. He has this kind of walk that he does. It's almost sort of tiptoe walk that he walks across to the room. Okay. And he has this way of getting mad. That's obviously he does in every movie he's ever been sure. in. Sure, You know, he has a sort of choleric temper that he gets mad really easily. Uh-huh. He's Italian. You understand Yeah. That. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the father complains that with so many children, the only thing he can see in the apartment is beds. Ravelli begins to talk to him, but Giuseppe becomes offended thinking that Ravelli is making fun of his accent. Right. Ravelli denies this and claims to come from Naples. Coincidentally, this is where Giuseppe hails from. Okay. Now, we- all right. All right. The worst. Yes, the worst. Cuz this goes back on the idea of <laughs> the, it, it's completely okay, Is it's that like when scene you in Night of the opera where he goes, uh, I'm not Ita- I'm not Italian. Or but- I'm not I'm not from, that, yeah, not from around here. i not from around here. That's
0: one. And yeah. there was another one, and I forget which one it was, but it was, uh, where it was like someone, someone he knew from prison. Yeah. And, and the guy goes, when'd you become Italian? Oh, we're not getting into that. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. he's not Italian. Yeah. This is just the how we talk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he never, he never eats a meatball. He doesn't do anything Italian. Yeah. Yeah. This is just how he talks. yeah, And and yeah, the, to me, this is like when you, when in a cartoon, you see Snoopy's doghouse and the the idea behind Snoopy's doghouse is it's magical and mm-hmm. it's full of all this stuff and he's yep. got a pool table and they go, well, let's take a look at it and you see there's a basement and there's a pool table in it. No, don't show me the inside of the doghouse. He, <laughs> he He's a magical character that's not yeah, from Italy. Yeah, that's right. And then it's like, oh, we knew each other from back then because what it feels like too is they're trying to have it both ways where like, um, it's not like Chico says, first of all, I'm from Naples. He says, where are you from? Naples, that's where I'm from. It's like, okay. It feels like he's trying to pull a fast one here. It was like, where are you from? That's where I'm from. I did this. Oh, I knew you there. Did he? But then it's like, they did. And it's not a lie. Why didn't he just say he's from Naples? Yeah. Why does he have to say, where are you from? You know where he's from. <laughs> None of that makes any logical sense in the thing. Yeah. Which then also makes Harpo Italian.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So Rovelli introduces his brother Wacky to, to the father. We used to stomp the grapes. We used to, st- of course, that's what everyone does in Italy. I don't think you, you realize that. Oh, That's how they get around. What the hell is going on? They have, they have grape powered cars.
0: Okay. The worst. That's the worst part of this whole movie. Is that is, is, well, is this whole
1: sequence is the worst part of this movie.
0: Well, yeah, but specifically in the worst sequence, yeah. the worst thing is Chico <laughs> saying, Oh, I'm an Italian man from Naples. Yeah,
1: yeah, I knew this was buggy when I saw it. Oh, it's I awful know, oh, It's, drive it's you crazy. Awful.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, you might as well then have Groucho go, uh, Why didn't anyone tell me I had this Like painted on mustache this whole time? It just comes right off. Yeah, yeah. yeah none of us, and Harpo takes off his wig and can talk. Let's <laughs> just forget it.
1: All right. As Rivelli shows the Italian family the various in-a-wall beds in the department, uh-huh. Wacky pushes a button on a switchboard that causes the three-level bunk bed on which some of the children are playing to sink back down into the floor.
0: Right. Okay. So Seems very dangerous. It's very dangerous.
1: Rivelli continues to show the family around the bed department when the mother notices that six of her children are missing. The family begins to make a ruckus, which wakes up Groucho. Groucho attempts to convince the father that he has only six kids because it's economically impossible that the family could afford twelve kids. He's not wrong, too. Like, <laughs> he shouldn't have that many kids. Groucho, well, they Gro- shouldn't have that many kids who are like the same age as each other. Because when you look at like the family, the kids are obviously like.
0: Well, maybe she had a lot of triplets.
1: She must have had a lot of triplets. Who
0: who who knows? Yeah. But this is the problem. Is like you have this Tex Avery world of crazy beds yeah and then and then she's realistically scared because like her children are missing mm-hmm. which is a legit thing yeah uh, but what's where's the focus of this then it's like uh you had grapes well now you had 12 grapes get the man some fruit it's like <laughs> oh this is just a oh, damn it's just mess. Terrible. this is terrible it's just a damn mess. i didn't even
1: i was so bored by the scene i couldn't i just i did like the easiest uh like summary of it because i couldn't I just couldn't. Okay, let's go. I couldn't, keep going. I couldn't we're do get, it. We're gonna work our way through. Let's it. just go through it. We so, get through. So it. next, okay, Wacky rounds up uh. six Scandinavian kids who wander into the department and presents them to the family as their kids because it's hilarious that half the kids are, you know, dark haired and then those kids have blonde hair. Right. e us.
0: Well, if we just end it there, I guess we can tolerate it. That's fine. Wait,
1: after those kids have been retrieved by their parents, uh huh. Ravelli grabs six Chinese kids. Who have come into the bed department. Not just that Chinese kids come into the department, they have to come in and the music goes ding 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 or yeah, whatever, you know, like so in case you didn't know they're, it. Yeah, they're Chinese.
0: Yeah. Everyone uh, is dressed as stereotypically yeah. as possible. Well, yeah. so far. So far. So far. You're gonna forget this <laughs> in a few
1: seconds. This is gonna become yeah. become normal. This is yeah. the new normal. The six kids who have come into the bed department, yeah, or sorry, presents them as their children. While this is going on, Wacky disappears some of the Scandinavian children in an in-the-wall bed that looks like a bank vault and uh, comes equipped with guns on it. Did you nice. notice that? No. It's Okay, the top is a bunk... The bottom is the bathtub, and the bathtub has, has holsters for guns. Right. And there are guns in the bed. Uh-huh. In the display. Uh, hopefully, the display guns. Was there a joke Although, this could, be where, this could be where Grover keeps getting all his guns from, this bed.
0: Could be. Is it, was there a joke about keeping the kids
1: safe or something? Was no, that a thing? No. Uh, okay. Once again, this Maybe is not a was. space saver. I don't know. Uh, the Chinese children join their parents and look at, a, at an in-the-trunk tent... That pops out of a car trunk at the push of a button and sets itself up complete with cot and table, which is done with stop motion animation.
0: Yeah, it's hilarious. Is it? No. <laughs> it's Next. almost tech savory, right? It's almost like Well, it's not magical. funny. Yeah.
1: So it's not quite tech savory. Okay. Next a family of Native Americans enter, uh-huh. dressed, of course, in Hollywood Wild West Indian getup.
0: Yeah, it seems like they've got the same outfits from, like, Go West. They just yeah. want, we still yeah. got them.
1: Well, funny that you mention that, because the father is played by Mitchell Lewis, who played Pete, the Indian character, who's Dan Baxter's kind of right-hand man in the movie. Okay. Uh, he plays the father of these uh, of these. So uh,
0: word, word of these cheap beds has gone far oh, and yeah, wide. Oh, yeah, far and
1: wide. It's gone all the way to the Midwest. It's gone all the way into the past. These people have ridden their buffaloes over to see that. That's how right. that's that's in character they are.
0: By the way, mm-hmm. for Groucho's joke off the top of, uh, do you have any other hobbies You know, uh, to the family with all the kids? It seems like many cultures have large amounts of children. This yes. is not, yeah. just no, not just an Italian stereotype by any means. No, no. So, you know, that's good to know we're all the same. We're all the same. It's re- like when they come in, when the Native Americans come in. Like, oh yeah, like, like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> what are on, you movie. doing? Yeah.
0: It's it's as they say, it's a hat on a hat. <laughs> There's just too much. Like mm. you've already got crazy yeah. beds. Children have gone missing. Uh, and now, I guess it's an eagle feathered headdress on a hat. But yeah, it's... I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> like I almost thought what it would be would be. Because uh, it's not good, but at least it would be consistent. Mm. Is when the tent comes out, if it comes out and it's a teepee, maybe. maybe but it was th- the Chinese
1: family that were looking at it. I know. That's the thing. It
0: doesn't make any sense. So it's like maybe the teepee comes out and they're like, well, who would want this? Then enters the Native American oh, okay, family. Okay. And it's like, that's exactly what we're looking for. That's a space <laughs> saver. There you go. Because we're from this cartoon. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we have completely by the way at this point forgotten the Cotton Pickin' Singers uh from earlier, right? <laughs> that that's just a fond memory. That's gone. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. anyway, How's uh, this wrap up? I can't even remember.
1: <laughs> Wacky presses all the buttons. Oh, of course he did. On a demonstration switchboard, raising and lowering and opening and closing all the beds and adding to the general mayhem. All the I know, that's the thing. I was thinking that too. I was like, isn't this the most dangerous bed ever invented? Like, all the arms and legs would be cut off for these stupid things. Stop it. This is back before in the wall bed, kids could no good. get hurt. In the wall beds, no good. That's what I learned from this movie. Okay. And then we cut to Flywheel, sleeping peacefully in his bed. Right. Cut to Fred talking to his sister, Joan. He learns that Tommy has asked her to marry asked asked her asked him to marry her wait sorry asked her to marry him and she has said yes. Fred says he's happy but seems preoccupied. Hmm. Maybe because he's been cooking the books and yeah. conspiring with murderers.
0: Yeah. Is anyone worried about that uh lawsuit waiting to happen bed thing up there that's going to kill all the children? <laughs> by the way, we still want to make this look like an accident, right? This murder? Yeah. We well, got a room up there by the way where you could do that like so easy.
1: That's right. <laughs> Basically, a bunch of guillotines with yes. pillows on them. Cut to the aforementioned Tommy crossing the outer office to Grover. He is happy that he will be selling a share in the store in one hour. I like that they keep telling us this store is being sold in one hour. That's the second mention by someone. Yeah. Just in case you forgot, audience.
0: We got a ticking clock now going How on.
1: long is it going to be till they sell the store? One hour. As Tommy leaves, two men enter. We learn that they are killers hired by Grover mm. to kill Tommy.
0: Were they the ones waiting in the shed or whatever? Like waiting. Before they were supposed to, she was going to take them to these guys or there's
1: different... Murder- oh, I don't know. We don't know who. Because right, they're, they're not introduced as the boys. I feel okay. like the boys are different. They're still waiting at the roadhouse. <laughs> brother. Okay. There's a
0: lot of work for murderers in this town.
1: <laughs> Groover makes it clear that Tommy has to be killed within an hour. Fred overhears the killers discussing their plan and goes down to the bed department to wake Flywheel and tell him about the threat to Tommy's life. See, I don't like this sequence at all. Because I don't like that Flywheel won't wake up. Yeah. Because I feel like... We've done that already. Well, it, just, it feels like we've done it already, but also that, you know, okay, he's a con artist, da-da-da, but he does take himself somewhat seriously as as his bodyguard and as a de- detective, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to impress Mrs. Phelps. He's not going to impress Mark DeMond's character if he lets her, you know, Tommy, who I think is her nephew, if she lets him get killed. Yeah. Like, he's doing, no, doing himself a favor. It also no just bothers
0: me comedically that he's still trying to sleep after all this time. Yeah, like, yeah. We've yeah. done that. Yeah, it's good. It. Yeah, it's fine. We, yeah. s- we started we start off with you in bed already. <laughs> it's just like enough, get out of get out of bed. Yes. Be doing be
1: doing something else. hmm Flywheel is too sleepy to understand what Fred is trying to tell uh. him. When he finally gets it, and that's that's another part of it. when he finally gets it, he wakes Ravelli to tell him that two killers wearing gray topcoats are after Tommy. With Ravelli awake, Flywheel goes back to bed. Ravelli awakens Wacky and they go to find the killers. As Wacky leaves, he pushes one last button, which activates a Murphy bed style in the wall bed sending flywheel backwards into a closet that closes with a do not disturb sign on the door well i guess that's him out of the movie <laughs> we'll never see him again he's locked in a closet with a do not disturb sign on it no one's going to get him out of there
0: nope because it says do not disturb and i guess we won't sense. see
1: groucho for the rest of the film
0: well don't worry this is all going to be over in an hour when they sell the store
1: Reve- <laughs> they're selling the store in an hour yeah i didn't know that Ravelli and wacky can't see anyone wearing gray top coats so Ravelli decides to play the piano to attract a crowd so, of course, the sequence is great. Yeah. He reminds Wacky that when he was little, Ravelli taught him how to play piano. So, we get a wonderful Chico and Harpo it's beautiful. piano
0: duet. That is just beautiful. Just the looks they give each other, putting the head on the shoulder, yeah. popping him off the yeah. shoulder, yeah. going back and
1: forth. Uh, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. And it uh, kind of harkens back to their piano duet that they did for Home Again, yeah. one of their, one of their uh, stage shows. Oh, okay. So, that's nice, that. too. So, yeah, they're kind of reviving it for that. They play a song called uh, Mama Eu Quero. Uh, I guess I love you or I want... but yeah it's so great just the, the fun they yep. have and stuff like that and I okay once you because as normal when I watch these movies I watch them a few times so the next time you watch like after a few times you watch it you start stop watching them and then you start looking at the people watching them playing and it's fun to watch them because they're laughing and it seems very it seems very authentic it seems very sincere yeah. laughter which I like I like that part of it. Again, it's I'm,
0: always the weird thing where it's a, a musical, and people will spontaneously burst into song. Yeah. Only once, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. never do it again. No. But, like, this is a world where it's still very impressive.
1: People can play the piano. Sure. Yeah. Well, but it does not so entertainingly. Mm-hmm. People can play a piano in our, in our world. Okay. But if you saw someone playing like like Chico, you would walk over to watch it. It
0: feels like Sound of Music rules where, uh, yes, this is a singing family, and that's delightful, Yeah. but... Everybody sings. None Mm. sing. Just advice to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, what's singing in this world of singing? Yeah. Uh, Chocolate in the land of chocolate. But okay. Anyway, it's a great scene. Agreed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no one wearing gray coats shows up, so they continue their search. That's
0: amazing that no one with a gray coat shows up. Yeah, it is weird. In this day and age.
1: Well, it's all women, actually. Ah, that's right. We cut to Fred with two police officers also looking for the killers. Fred decides that he'll go ahead of the police so he can point them out. Unfortunately, a sneaky Grover overhears the plan. Oh, as Fred waits it's just for the a police... loudmouth a
0: loud this guy. This is his problem. <laughs> if he would just shut up, half of his problems
1: would disappear. As Fred waits for the police, a door opens behind him and he has pulled through. Yeah. The door closing behind him, just as the police round the corner.
0: It is not a million miles away from Scooby-Doo, a lot of these things.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, the Hastings brothers, who plan to buy Tommy's share in the store, uh-huh. arrive. As they walk through the store, they meet Groucho, who, mistaking them for their killers because of their gray coats, handcuffs them to a pole.
0: I know. I like how uh, up for being handcuffed. They yeah, are. They are. <laughs> Oh, what's this? Some kind of demonstration? <laughs> what's What's going on? Some kind of bondage department you've got <laughs> going on here? Oh, well, I never. But that you know, sounds <laughs> right. fine. Hey, what's the big idea? <laughs> That's
1: right. Just come downstairs where we have beds that can kill you. he phones tommy and mrs phelps to let them know that he has captured the crooks but when they arrive they discover that he has captured the hastings brothers Mm. tommy gets unreasonably mad at flywheel now i can see him being mad all the time at him but why get mad at him now is this his first display of ineptitude no it's not he gets mad at flywheel and releases the brothers cut to Rivelli and wacky stepping off the elevator as they walk along the corridor someone says hands up Just as Wacky pokes someone in the back with his horn, it's the two killers who think they've been caught, and they have been caught. Mm -hmm. Wacky and Rivelli deliver them to the police. The Hastings brothers are ready to sign over their check to Tommy to complete the deal, but Grover, in one last desperate attempt to put off the inevitable, suggests that since the store is closing early because it's a Saturday, the contract should be signed at a formal ceremony so the staff can meet the store's new owners. Get some press. Yeah. Revelli decides that he and Wacky should play at the party, only Wacky's clothes are too shabby for a fancy party. Mm. And then he just walks off and leaves him. <laughs> too bad. Goodbye. You know what? He went off to talk to the professor. He's going <laughs> to help him out. Oh, good. That professor working behind the scenes always. <laughs> He leaves, and a disappointed wacky wanders into a display of 18th century clothing and furnishing. Yeah. Um, th- okay. It doesn't make sense, but this is a wonderful sequence. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> it sound like but I like, yeah, it. when it's like your
0: clothes aren't aren't any good. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. I uh, wish we had some kind of place store. we can buy. It? Yeah. Yeah, we got a store <laughs> we got to get some clothes. Yeah. Like
1: oh. That's a good idea. I wonder where that would be. Yeah, have we
0: established sure. that like you're everyone's super broke? Like, is that a thing? We yeah. haven't really hit that yeah, beat. No, uh, I think. Well, I know. Also, I mean, Groucho, I know, has five hundred bucks on him, right? Didn't uh, Mark paid him five dollars? Just
1: five dollars. Yeah, that was. Remember, he says you can give me five dollars down, five dollars uh, in advance. Okay, you can kiss me. Or give me $5 on bed. Well,
0: let's just go with this. What's five? Another case you lose. All right. Well, maybe get the five bucks off him because if a bed costs $25, then for $5, you can get a pair of pants and a shirt. You'll be fine. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. uh, Harpo, yes. It is a very magical, beautiful scene. But you know what it feels like to me? Yeah. Is we've just had a thing where like everyone's in beds and sleeping. Yeah.
1: And it's like, well, this feels like a dream sequence. This feels like. It is presented like that. And I I don't. But it's, I don't it's see the, any reason why it should be, but it is presented as a fantasy. And as it's a, as a, fantasy a fantasy sequence, sequence. Yeah. yeah. But like,
0: it feels like the more natural way to get into it is like is, is is like a disappointed Harpo like falling asleep near the thing or something, and then being in the dream world. Instead, yeah, he just like he stands next to a thing and almost like starts the fantasy himself, like activates the fantasy, mm-hmm. and then changes place with this mannequin. And it's a beautiful idea, yeah. And then it's beautifully like
1: played out, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, no, I think it's really wonderful, like. You know, strangely for a film that is, to me is disappointing in many ways, the musical sequences, piano duet between yeah. Chico and Harpo, is really great, and this harp solo is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and they're they're very different. Here's here's what I'm going to say about this movie: is it is the most uh it, it's the it's the most disjointed of, <laughs> yes. of any of the films. Like yeah. stylistically, mm. it radically shifts. Yeah, yeah, like just. 90 degrees constantly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. into a totally different movie. Like the scene with Groucho where he walks into the elevator and then everyone starts singing at him. What's this movie? (laughs) It's very different than than Chico and Harpo playing piano or the bed scene or this scene. Like these are all, if you just saw Mm -hmm. them individually, you go, that's all right. Uh, But not the bed scene. No, no, That's just a piece of (laughs) shit. Shinola, um, <laughs> shaving cream, <laughs> shaving uh, cream. cream. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this uh, yeah this was this was gorgeous. This was a <laughs> real nice standalone piece. To the point where I'm surprised you don't see it more in compilation movies. Yeah, of things. yeah, yeah. Uh, I love. Yeah, I love. Like, he's playing all the different instruments
1: and mm-hmm.
0: different reflections. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. Yeah, it begins. Yeah, he's magically transformed into an 18th century gentleman. He's wearing a suit. He has some snuff, which is kind of a funny. Yeah, sequence. he's
0: fantasizing about being a fancy man. Yeah,
1: and then he sees the harp in the corner with the mirrored walls, and it's wonderfully done. Like it's a really well done effect shot as well. And I guess because the camera is locked off for a lot of it, so it doesn't really have to move, so you don't have, don't have to worry about how the process shot works. But it's very seamless. Like you yeah. can't really tell. And Harper does a great job. I don't know if he's actually playing. I don't know if he actually played the cello and the and the and the violin. But he does a very creditable job pretending he's playing them if he right. doesn't. And, of course, uh, so he plays a piece that was written for this sequence called A Whimsical Trio. It was written by a, a conductor named Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco. Uh, and he incorporates Mozart's Sonata in C major. The dun 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 dun, yeah. da la, 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 da 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 da. That's uh, the sonata in C major. Oh,
0: now we got to pay for that. Thanks then, for singing that. <laughs>
1: and then uh, Beethoven's minuet in G major, or sorry, minuet in G, just minuet in G. Minuet and G major is a different piece, and it's great. And so, yeah, as the reflections in the mirror start to behave differently than him. Yeah, and you get them playing all together, and you get this one. And it's kind of, of fun too,
0: because when you first see him look into the mirror, you're taken back to you know the Harpo Groucho mirror scene a little bit. So Harpo, in a mirror is a fun thing, you're mm-hmm. like something's going to change and something's going to be different. Yeah, and then yeah, then it goes that magical uh, magical route.
1: Yes, and then the scene ends. He's back into his regular. yeah, his regular clothing, regular dress. And uh, Ravelli enters to tell his brother that everything is fixed and he can play at the party. Great. There you go. All right. End of movie. End of movie. That's it. Goodbye, everyone. Cut to Grover talking to press photographers. He discovers that they intend to only take a picture of Tommy signing the papers. Ah. So that gives him an idea. He takes one of their cameras and rigs the camera with a gun so that when the unwitting photographer tries to take a picture of Tommy, he'll accidentally shoot him. Yeah, that
0: looks like an accident. Mm -hmm. You know, they find the gun and the camera,
1: and the police go, Well, just an accident. Just an accident.
0: You know, I guess it's one of those. Yeah,
1: when you said you're going to shoot some pictures, you didn't realize that you had a camera gun. You should be more careful with your camera gun. Happens every day. The most commonly seen sort of camera, you see them all the time. Why would you think any different when you saw it? (laughs) Grover then instructs Duke, his assistant manager. To get Fred Sutton out of the store immediately, so he's gone before the shooting and subsequent police investigation. All right. Cut to flywheel and Mrs. Phelps. He asks her to step into a secluded room where he woos her in typical Groucho style. Yeah, nice. There's a line there where she says, uh, you know, you'll see some cute blonde and you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll leave me. And he says, don't be silly. I'll write you twice a week. Yes. Now, apparently, the producer of the film, Louis K. Sidney, hated this line. Why? It's he really hated good. it so much that he demanded it to be removed from the picture. Uh-huh. But Reisner demurred, he liked it, and he left it in. And so they had a preview in Pomona, and the line got the biggest laugh of the evening. But an angry Sydney confronted Culler, Sid Culler, the writer, who had nothing to do with whether the line was in the movie or not, confronted him in the lobby, was yelling at him, demanding to know how the line had been left in when he had, had when he had, had it taken it out of the movie. Then Louis B. Mayer and a unit producer, and a unit manager named El Lichtman came out, and that's where the matter was. And Harper explained that there was this line in the picture that uh, was not supposed to be in it and was causing problems. And Mayer says, that was the best line of the movie. And Lickman says, I lost a heart. I almost fell out of my seat. And so Sidney was just, now he was even more mad because no one would agree with him about this this uh, line. And he said, all right, all right. I just want to know how the hell this line got into the picture when I ordered it out. And Chico said, well, let's just say the god of comedy put it in. Uh, you know,
0: that scene... Again, because this is her last movie, right? With uh, the Marx Brothers, right? Uh, So, it's kind of the last scene with her and Groucho doing the wooing, yes, yes. whatever. And and on, you might be like, in previous movies, you'd be like, is she just not getting what he's saying? Does she not hear this kind of thing? Yeah. And in that scene, it's just, she gets it. Yeah. She's fine with it. This is just what they got. <laughs> yeah. And there's genuine affection between the two of them. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's perfect. It, we're, it's It's great. Yeah. If this is the last scene like this they're going to do together... That's the one. It's really, it's really
1: nice. It is nice. You're right,
0: and I'm glad that that was the biggest laugh in the in the picture. <laughs> uh,
1: Joe then introduces Tommy, who sings a song that I wish he hadn't sung. He's written. I'll put that in quotes. Sure. The song, the songs were written by uh, I can't remember the, name of the composer, but all the uh, all the lyrics were composed by Sid Collar and Ray Golden. So they they write, they wrote the lyrics for "Sing While You Sell." If only okay. they were funnier. They did the the lines for a "Tenement Symphony," sung with complete with a, a kid symphony orchestra. Yeah okay supplemented by harpo and chico which is nice to see them play uh along with the song like it's sort of interesting it is you know what I'll get, I gotta give you I wasn't I wasn't down with Chico and Harpo playing. Oh really? Oh I like that. I I wasn't. I just like seeing them play.
0: Uh, no, it's nice to see them play. But I saw I saw Chico playing at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and then I saw him playing with Harpo. Sure. And it was such a great, perfect scene. Yeah. That it's weird to have them like and 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 then Harpo's scene is so beautiful and perfect. Yeah. That it's like and they're back again playing more. Oh, bit. and and can they top what they did before? No. no, it's just them playing some more. Yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> no, you should end like the last time you see them playing their instruments they should be at the best they are in the movie and it's like this is just oh yeah and this as well yeah so so to me that wasn't that wasn't super great i would have liked to have seen instead like just chico's kids playing playing the thing or something you know, uh, But I did like seeing the other kids playing. The kid, the kid with the clarinet cracked me up. <laughs>
1: yes. I was watching, I was like, are they actually playing? Are they just pretending to play? It's so I hard, don't know. It's so hard to know.
0: Back then, kids could do everything, though. So probably they yeah. were playing.
1: The choir of children was a real choir. It was an Episcopal mm-hmm. choir that was, that was known for, you know, known I like the kid with the maracas.
0: Play. I liked, uh, yeah. liked his good, yeah. Yeah, it was good maracas shaking.
1: Grocho attempts to get the press photographers interested in taking his picture. Mm-hmm. But they're only there for Tommy Rogers. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. He and Ravelli borrow a camera from a sleeping photographer. You know, borrow without asking. Yeah. Also known as stealing.
0: Also, why is he sleeping? Yes. Why is everyone so tired? <laughs> like, the, the too many people are in bed trying to, like, sleep their way through the movie. It's like, uh, it's, not a, it's not a good thing when a movie isn't, like, super sharp. Duke
1: comes to Grover uh-huh. and tells him that Fred has escaped and talked to Joan before disappearing. All right. Joan runs up to Flywheel and says that she has something to tell him. Mm-hmm. He invites her to have her picture taken with him, because you know he's a detective, he's very interested in the case. Just as Ravelli takes the picture, Duke turns out the lights, and Grover grabs Joan. When the lights come back up, she is gone. Sure. Again, very Scooby Doo. Flywheel suggests that they develop the photo taken by Ravelli. This may reveal who stole or who kidnapped Joan. But as quickly as she is kidnapped, Joan is found by Tommy. No worry. This is one scene later. She's found. Meanwhile, Flywheel and Ravelli have developed the photo, which shows Grover Grabbing Joan from behind a curtain.
0: And also the professor being murdered.
1: <laughs> Is that what happened? Yep. That
0: wraps up that.
1: <laughs> Took care of that subplot. Yep. I didn't notice it. And I watched this film several times. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I really got a squint. I
1: really, guess I did.
0: I watched it in HD.
1: Grover, you watched it in HD. Mm-hmm. What was that? Uh, highly dubious. <laughs> that I watched it in that HD. That you watched it in HD, yeah. yes. Yeah, I'm dubious. So Grover enters with a gun and demands the negative. He burns it. He then, and
0: it burns uh, Harpo's hand, too. and Like, oh, oh hot, yeah, hot, 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 hot. And it was really, this it f- just a little bit of something like that.
1: Oh, uh, Harpo almost got burned. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> this is ser- this serious. It's a serious part. Serious. Oh, yeah. It's a negative of being burned. He then demands the picture. But as Ravelli goes to hand it over, Wacky distracts Grover. Rivelli grabs him and Flywheel knocks the gun out of his hand. A trio of stuntmen, dressed like the Marx Brothers, (laughs) then begin to run around the store, chased by Grover, who is joined by a policeman and a janitor. Yeah. There follows an elaborate slapstick sequence involving climbing in and out of an elevator... Yeah. Grocho deflecting pistol shots with a shovel, jumping from a mezzanine and landing feet first in roller skates, swinging from hanging lamps like Tar- Tarzan on Vines. Oh, by the
0: way, when the guy, okay, uh, there's mm-hmm. one thing where they, they knock over all these tubes. Yes. And then the guy. To, to get in his way, yeah. Get in his way. Yeah. And he comes out and just runs into them. Yes. Like, can't see and the slides tubes. slides along But it's pretty wild how he, like, falls on them and then just rolls on all them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how they did that. Because like, that's what would happen.
1: Okay, that would naturally happen with rules like that, all right, fine. they probably also pulled them along, like yeah, a there's wire. some
0: some kind of wiring situation, so sure, sure. it was pretty fast, yeah, it was very fast, and it was just interesting how they Once did again, it,
1: probably undercranked
0: but it was it say. was one of those things where like and i've i have i I've done this kind of comedy thing where i'm and I'm not proud of it, but it's where I've done a scene where like people are pushing things. Uh, that I'm supposed to like trip over, and yeah. they push them in the wrong place, yeah. so I have to run towards them and trip <laughs> over them, and it just looks like terrible. Yeah. But yeah. every time anything's thrown in front of that guy, he just yeah. runs right for it. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it doesn't, it doesn't, not, does not have
0: a avoiding ability, right? So, they, yeah, they get in roller skates. Uh, uh, it's a bicycle.
1: Sl- they slide them. down a mail chute. Sure, they ride bicycles. Of Course, to a bi- to a bicycle built for two. Well, well they, and
0: then uh, bicycle breaks through comes- a
1: series of accidents becomes a unicycle. Yep.
0: I didn't mind Groucho on a unicycle.
1: It's not Groucho. Okay, but I didn't mind Groucho, the character. <laughs> you didn't mind inter- the Simon inter- playing Groucho on a unicycle? Sure. It becomes a unicycle, yeah. Then he carries a, a Wacky on his shoulders. Sure. Uh, before the three take refuge in an electrical supply room. In the excitement, Wacky puts down the photo of Grover grabbing, grabbing Joan. The popping sounds of falling light bulbs make the three think that they're under attack. They surrender and open the door just as Grover attempts to crash through it. He flies through the open door and ends up under a pile of boxes. That's not actually true. He actually does crash through the door. Uh-huh. Tommy and the others approach and demand Grover come out of the storeroom. He emerges and lights the photograph on fire. As he exults, the press want to take a picture of him. He then panics and lets out that he has booby-trapped a camera with a gun. Wacky knocks out Grover. Uh-huh. That's it. There you are. Mrs. Phelps decides that she too will sell her share of the store to the Hastings brothers. Cut to Wacky and Ravelli, followed by Flywheel and Mrs. Phelps leaving the store. As they get into the jalopy, Flywheel is approached by a man, played by Charles Lane, who's seen many times in many movies, right. playing just such a character. Uh, he's also in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, yeah. telling Mr. Potter that he better get get it together because people george, are leaving you know are trying to move to whatever the name of george the uh, bailey uh something alone Something's alone. yeah but but the place he's building for the for the uh for he's li- they're leaving potters pottersville or whatever yeah. and moving over to to whatever the subdivision that uh
0: yeah if i'm remembering that scene correctly and he refers to himself like he says like and this is one young man that might be going and joining them and like going. <laughs> Young man, yeah. <laughs> like, like was- I don't know what the life expectancy was back then, but yeah, yeah. oh bless, maybe you've got just resting old man face from when you were young, but yeah, okay, yeah. Seeing seeing him, I was like, oh, he's probably still
1: working for Potter. Uh, Charles Lane was a uh, really good friend with Lucille Ball, oh, okay. and he's got a lot of. I love Lucy shows into like that. He's a he's very good, good character. Yeah. Actor. yeah, he's just like the guy you turn to. And what's weird is I got him mixed up with Erskine Sanford because like mm, this is the that? guy who played the the reporter in in uh Citizen Kane. Oh, ah, okay. But then I couldn't see it in his in his credits, so then I looked and it was I was wrong. Mixed up. Mixed up as usual. Uh flywheel. oh sorry. He explains to flywheel that he hasn't made a payment on the car in 12 years. <laughs> which isn't a great cuz the car is really old. It should be a longer t- time than that.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, it was yeah.
1: Yeah, it's wrong. The joke doesn't quite fly. No, it doesn't flywheel. Flywheel tells him that he'll send a check in the morning, then instructs Wacky to drive to Mrs. Phelps' residence. Now, this guy isn't falling for that trick, though, unlike those dumb movers uh-huh. who, wa- th- who want to get the piano and this left without it. Yeah. Uh, as Wacky prepares to drive, the camera pulls back to reveal they're being towed away. ba 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 towed. Okay. That's so. the end of the movie. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> she's still rich, right? She's still so rich. So she could just pay him. They don't even they don't even need the car. I'm sure she has a better car of yeah, her own. Yeah, it's not really an issue. That doesn't have the possibility of them falling through the bottom of it while they're driving places. Okay.
0: So uh, Tommy. Okay, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he is he a famous singer now?
1: Don't know. Yeah, that was the whole thing, right? Because I mean, it kind of it has her as a as they finish the sequence with Grover. Yeah. It and the and Mrs. Phelps and, and the others are walking away. The Margaret Dumont and the rest are walking away. It it kind of shows like Joan and Tommy getting close to each other. Yeah, and that's it. That's the end of that. Yeah, it really seems like we should button that somehow. No, no point. It's fine. Huh. It's good. Yeah, what it should have showed them was them laying in bed together, and then the bed sliding into the <laughs> wall.
0: That's right, and then being decapitated. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, so and, then, and then the initial goon comes out and went, "I made it look like an accident." <laughs> Perfect crime. (laughs) And then the professor solves the mystery. Wait, no, he was killed as well. He's He's also dead as well. (laughs) Oh,
1: it's, there's so many like hanging. It's a very weak uh, ending. It's a very weak ending, but there's so many hanging moments in this film, like the professor is an example of that. The, the uh, Peggy, who's going to lure her to the, uh, lure her to the, to the roadhouse, or sorry, lure Tommy to the roadhouse. Uh, And then the the ending, the ending of the film, where it just kind of. No, another question. It doesn't really wrap anything up. Tommy. Yes, was
0: Tommy because he's a musician and yes. a singer? Yeah, did he go to the conservatory as a child?
1: Yes, that's what we that's he's we have established that it's not really established per se, but it's it is we can assume that that he has he has a connect, close connections. Right, and that's what he wants to rebuild
0: it. Tommy's dream is to rebuild the conservatory, yes. not to be a famous singer. That's not his big dream. His big dream is no, no. His
1: big dream is to be a singer.
0: To be a singer, but, but he also. Wants, wants to, to rebuild the conservatory. Yeah, he wants to
1: give back to the So the, the
0: happy c- ending here is those yeah. kids get their piano lessons. Yes. Tommy might be a successful singer. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Well uh,
1: you know, he wrote Tenement Symphony. Now that's gonna
0: take off like gangbusters. Yeah. Or maybe maybe you get work on gangbusters, apparently. That's a very popular
1: <laughs> show. You can play Sheriff Hawkins.
0: Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh I think Flywheels uh probably places burned down by now. Because uh, he left uh, fire going in his office when they went off to start this adventure.
1: <laughs> is the town in Stranger Things is it called Hawkins or is the na- the sheriff named Hawkins?
0: Oh, this is a very good question. It oh, should yeah. be on our Stranger Things cast.
1: <laughs> Stranger I can't think of a nope. I can't think of a good we can't. name for it. Nope. Pretty weak. Uh, uh, pretty weak. No, I'm everywhere. sorry.
0: I'm I've I've got a cold, I'm jet lagged, I can't uh, I can't Strangest
1: s- things. But we should be, it should be—it
0: should be going with our idea of like we did completely Beals, we did totally oh, okay. Tintin, we did full marks. Yeah. So it should be like something that is like a complete amount of Stranger Things. Oh, okay, huh? And nope, can't think of a thing. <laughs> That's what it should be called.
1: Can't think of can't a thing. Think of a thing. We're, we're tapped out. That's right. Uh, okay, well, let's go back to let's go back to this movie. Oh sure. Okay, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap up this. Uh, All right.
0: So, so there's some beautiful scenes in it. Uh, it's still nice seeing the Marx Brothers. It's nice seeing uh, Groucho doing the scenes with with Margaret Dumont. It's nice seeing Groucho in times when he's Groucho. Yeah. Too many people were sleepy. Too many people <laughs> were just falling asleep yes.
1: and lying down. Well, here here's the biggest weakness of the film is that there is just not enough funny scenes in it. Like there is... Lots of opportunity to have yeah. funny scenes. In the department have, store. Yeah, we have them taking over at a counter. Yeah. Look at the
0: cartoon images of them in the, in the beginning. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Loose in the store. Yeah. Even just like, we'll take over for you while you go out and do this. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Let's see it. Let's see Harpo helping a lady to find something. Yeah. Let's see. Let's show uh, them. Yeah. Let's see. So see someone trying to return see Chico. something to Chico yeah. and Chico not taking it back and the guy getting like 10 times the thing. You mean thing.
1: like in the script to the radio show?
0: Is that what happens? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like there's lots of in the store stuff in there. There's them trying to sell a suit. Yeah. They're yep. returning, people returning merchandise. You know, all the things that you do in a store, uh, they they cover, you know, that parent covers in the script for you. Yeah
0: shoplifting from a shoplifter, so many things you Once could Once again, do. there's a
1: shoplifter in the... Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, there's just... The, you know, the bases are covered. Like, the you know, it's like they wrote on a piece of paper, what things what things happen in a store? Well, These let me tell happen. you what
0: things happen in a store. Yeah. You have uh, gigantic beds coming out of the floor. <laughs> and, <laughs> so uh, common. And, uh, and, and then, people uh, of all
1: nationalities... Tense.
0: Yeah, that's right. ...coming
1: to sto- shop there. That's right. Huge families. They arrive by bus.
0: The equivalent of the United yeah. Colors of Bennington show <laughs> that's up. right, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, it's a something. It's, All
1: right, it's not a. It's a, it's a something. Yeah, it's not a. It's not a film that was written by comedians. Although it does have funny sequences in it, I feel like they almost work despite of themselves. Yeah, or in spite of themselves. Yeah, despite there of, are in spite sequ- of themselves.
0: Great sequences that don't fit together, yeah. and they do not make a whole. Yeah, by any means. Yeah,
1: and there's just not enough funny sequences in the film. Like there's opera, There's you know there's no like Chico's not particularly funny. No. Harpo doesn't have very much to do. Because what is Chico?
0: He's not uh he's not mispronouncing words. Mm-hmm. He's not conning anybody. Yeah. So what is he?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. What's Harpo's deal? Uh, I don't know he's uh he's doing some funny business with the typewriter. You know, it's Yeah. Uh, that's good. You know, that's that's fine. But that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. And then, you know, a very sweet scene later on that seems very European. Um <laughs> yes, feels yes. feels like the kind of scene that France would really enjoy. Yeah. Um
1: there you go. We yeah, did all yeah. the things. It's very it's very odd. Like if you know, if you take any other marks for their film, you can you know you can kind of separate out the funny sequences from the film, and there mm-hmm. there's this many sequences, and that's that's basically what what George S. Kaufman said is what, when you write a Marx film, you are you create sequences, and then you write the story to to fit those sequences. yeah so you have your you know Cap- you have your Captain Spaulding arriving, you have your Chico and Har- Groucho talk at a table, you have their, you have Grocho talking with with a character. You have the Margaret Dumont Groucho scenes, you know. So you have your little things that are expected for each, you know, the beats of the of the story, and then you kind of work the story around that. Yeah. Whereas this movie, it's, it's all basically tells the story. We get the story of this incredibly murderous store manager who, you know, is, if he wasn't a store manager, he'd be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, is trying to hide an embezzlement plot while Tommy Martin's trying to sell his shares to the store. That's the plot of the movie. Yeah. And the movie tells that in a very linear, boring way. It tells us all those sort of things. In between that, we get the Marx Brothers, who just show up to be bumble, to bumble, to be sleepy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're never like they're never in command of anything. They don't they don't talk someone into submission. Yeah. They don't get a scene where they're they don't get any sort of interesting sequence. You know, we don't get Groucho pretending to be a cat crawling on a on a on a they accidentally got a photo.
0: And then ran away with it. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it wasn't their plan. It wasn't their plan, and it wasn't them running. Uh,
0: you know, and, it wasn't it, steep- was,
1: it was them running in the movie. But I mean, be, yes. but at least in Go West, there's moments where they get gags. Yeah. In this film, there's no gags. It's just all slapstick being performed by their people. And then there's brief cutaway, you know, like insert shots yeah. of of them getting up and dusting themselves off or whatever, or yelling, "Hey, wacky, over here." but even in that help there's
0: no danger that they're in because you know no none of them are going to be hurt mm-hmm. you know that's the thing when you look at a buster keaton is like, you actually kind of feel, oh, oh, careful, Uh yeah. Or like a Harold Lloyd or something, mm-hmm. You're like, oh, oh sure. You know, but this, there's like no, no danger. They're just cartoon characters in a cartoon background. You know, no one's going to get shot. Nothing's going to happen. There's no real threat. Yeah. So it's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's not, and then it's not the funny nonsense. It's so funny. <laughs> it's not funny. You know, oh no, they're being chased by that guy with a gun mm-hmm. who some could shoot them now. Yeah. It's not hard to shoot him right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his motivation is. Nah, that's nah, your. It's fine. Anyway, so that's generally the review of this is. That's the review. Some beautiful scenes, but as a movie, nah,
1: nah, nah, it's fine. <laughs> there you are.
0: <laughs> Anything more you want to say about the film itself?
1: No, I think uh, I think we've covered everything. All right, very good. Everything I have to say about my disappointment in this film.
0: Well, uh, what did you think? Because this isn't over until yeah. you've had your say.
1: I'm curious to hear from people who. You know, maybe you've watched this film a lot growing up, and so it has yeah. a dear place in their heart. And we just. Does this get a lot of just, play? <laughs> just, uh. Yeah. Does this ruin play it on for television ever? Mm-hmm.
0: Is this one that is ever on. I don't remember the, it being the, on TV TV very noon much.
1: Movie. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it very much. I've never seen it as well. Yeah. Uh, One time it was on and I caught it like partway through I guess
0: Here's how you get in touch with us Uh, We do uh, our main podcast uh, That we've been doing for a number of years now It's called Sneaky Dragon So everything is kind of connected to that But if you go to sneakydragon.com All of our episodes of Full Marks are on there And under every episode is a message board And you can post your thoughts there You'll see other people have been doing that And we appreciate hearing from you If you'd like to email us sorry, I said sure do There you go. Uh, If you want to email us, you can do that at SneakyD, letter D, at SneakyDragon.com, SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. We're also on Twitter, Sneaky underscore Dragon, at Sneaky underscore Dragon is what it is. Uh, You knew that, though, because you get nowhere without that at symbol. And uh, Tumblr, we're SneakyDragon.Tumblr.com. So, yeah, let us know what's up. Uh, and uh, give us some trivia that we've missed, as you usually do. We always appreciate that. Yeah. And um, thanks to everyone who has been mentioning us on iTunes and reviewing us there. That helps people to find us. Uh, if you if you give us a review, um, maybe Dave mentions you on the show.
1: Yes, let's mention a couple of reviews that oh, we Oh, very had. good then. So, yeah, so we're going to uh – Thank our iTunes uh, people for uh, their reviews on iTunes. This it really great. And just remember that we're getting near the end of this, so you have a limited amount of time to put reviews up so we can True. say your name. So, But thank you to uh, Vichy Chicago for a great review of the show, Rudy Gazoo for another great review, and then Frev1 for a, a review and also a little bit of trivia about Go S. So thank you for that. Oh, nice. And then we had some had some Australian listeners who wrote and reviewed the show on iTunes in Australia, which we really appreciate. Uh, one is uh, well, I don't know if this is your name, but it's Gergexvex. <sharp> oh my gosh, that's <laughs> it's that uh, that that's that's my iTunes password. Gergexvex. <laughs> <It's sharp> yeah. Uh, if it's got the umlaut. And uh, also from Kierano. Kierano, ah. who uh, they both gave us nice reviews, so we thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate that everyone is enjoying the show because you know. Uh, could you please cue the the violence over there? Uh, this isn't easy to do for us. this show. <laughs> so we appreciate any amount of oh uh, whatever. That's <laughs> what kind of violin is that? <laughs> I I was just petting a cat the wrong way. <laughs> okay, that was that's that was yes. Uh, so thanks everyone for your iTunes reviews. Those are really awesome. It's uh it's it's wonderful to hear from you through any means necessary. And
0: if you want to just tell a friend, that's also a good thing to do.
1: That's right. Word just, of mouth. Or accost a stranger on the street.
0: Yeah. Have you heard the good word about full mark? <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to listen to our other podcast, it is uh, Sneaky Dragon. Yeah. And uh, that is us uh, talking about our lives and uh, things, and we're doing a thing on that well, I'm not even going to say what we're doing on the show because by the time – this this is one of those evergreen podcasts. You can come back and listen to it. Then when you listen to uh, Sneaky Dragon, we're going, hey, we're doing people's movies. And you go like, no, you're not anymore, you liars. And it's like, okay, so forget it. Anyway, but we're still probably doing Sneaky Dragon. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, go, go check that out as well. And if you want to know about the Beatles, we did a podcast called Completely Beatles. And if you want to know about Tintin, we did the same thing for Tintin with Totally Tintin. So those are the sidecasts we have done so far.
1: Thank you for using the word sidecast.
0: Yeah, Dave is trying to make that happen. <laughs> so please use that in your uh,
1: in your just normal conversations. And hey, you know what? What's that, Dave? I'm really looking forward to the next show. Are you? Because we are doing a night a night in Casablanca. Okay. Which was my first Marx Brother movie. The first Marx Brother movie wow. I saw in grade five. Okay. And I have not seen it since I saw it in grade five. Very nice. So I'm I'm look I'm not sure it's going to hold up. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it once again. Because I, I remember it very fondly. And sorry, what grade were you in? Or I were? was in grade five. Grade five. Okay. So how old was I? Grade, I was 11 years old, maybe?
0: You would be about 10 years 10 old. 10 years old, yeah. yeah. So try to think of what you were eating when you were 10, the type of food you like. <laughs> okay. And eat that food while watching <laughs> it and get that exactly, full immersive. Exactly
1: the same as now. Hot dogs. Nice. All... Everyone's
0: a wiener, baby. That's the, <laughs> that's the truth. Hot dog. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I've been Ian wish i had a million dollars reference to ah you know it it's a wonderful life that's dave he's not going to say what his name is it's the only way i'm going to get out of here if we uh, say our names okay we'll uh we'll see you next time on uh full marks bye bye everyone